In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to a very special mini-sode of the Feelin' Film podcast. We are extremely excited for this opportunity to talk about our favorite things in film for the past year. Patrick, I don't know about you, but this is something I've dreamed about since we started the podcast back in April of 2016, finally getting to do our very own year in review. I'm hoping and guessing that you're just as excited as I am. Yes, sir, I am. Dreams really do come true. And when it comes to this podcast, this was a dream that was not mine, but yours. But I'm so grateful that you let me come in on this vision that you have. It has been an interesting, exciting, entertaining, fulfilling experience for me. I didn't ever think in my lifetime, at least in my, you know, post family lifetime with a wife and child that I would watch as many movies as I have in the course of the last, you know, eight months. (laughs) Yeah. I'm guessing that it's probably, gosh, darn near quadrupled or so your normal movie intake. Yes, I'm very much um, ahead of the curve of my own personal uh, movie goals. And um, what's funny is that I'm probably about half or maybe a third of the way that you are when it comes to <laughs> your movie experiences. I don't know if, so, that's, a, if that's praise or a little bit of a, an embarrassment for me that I watch so many movies. You can you can take it as praise. That's what that's what it intended to be from from this guy. But you know, it's just been it's been great to experience that and. I'm grateful for for you for um, for this podcast because it's exposed me to movies that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. It's given me a chance to um, explore film and culture and the Hollywood culture in general and how that shapes how I view film as a as a as a fan, as a moviegoer, as a critic, or whatever you want to call me. And um, in general, this podcast has opened up so many doors. And so many new friendships within the uh, the podcast community specifically, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. So. Yeah, you know, I, I am too, and I would say that that's probably the number one thing that I look at as a as a bonus uh, from doing this. Granted, being able to do it with you would be, you know, it, it's kind of like the de facto number one. Just getting to talk about movies with your best friend and and have people actually care about listening to that is is kind of amazing we talk about how mind-blowing it is all the time and we're just really grateful that um, our particular I guess slant uh, on the way that we like to watch film is is something that others value and it was it was a fun journey to see how we've gotten from where we started to here you know we started with Batman v Superman um, and it kind of triggered this feeling in both of us of like hey we need to kind of fight out or, or put up a fight against the critics that are always negative and, and they just can't find anything positive to say. And we need to be able to find the best in pretty much any movie. And, you know, over time it's, it's kind of evolved for us. And I think it's, it's neat how it's settled into this place where it really fits our personality types. You know, mm-hmm. we're both very emotional guys. Um, we both like to empathize and we like to draw out these, things that we connect with these connecting points um, yeah. from the films that we watch. So um, it's been awesome 
to, to yeah. kind of be part of that and just see how our show has evolved over, over the course <laughs> of time. And I'm sure it's not done. I mean, I'm sure it's going to keep evolving as we move forward. Very organic show, I think we, we could say this is. And I'm incredibly grateful that it's uh, called Feel and Film as opposed to, uh, I think our first choice was, uh, what, Oh, you're not, dumb? you're not going to say, <laughs> <laughs> Did it? Yeah. yeah, it literally was critics are dumb and, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, considering that I'm like in the process of applying for the, uh, Seattle critics society, I don't know how that, how well that would go. If I was like, hi, my name is Aaron white and, uh, I, I run a po- podcast. I'm a co-host on a podcast called critics are dumb and I would like to join your organization. <laughs> I don't know that they would, I think I'd be out the door, man, super yeah. fast. So. So, so grateful that feeling film became what it did and how, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to hope that we are living up to the name itself and that we are capturing the, uh, the emotional aspect and the connection that we have as an audience to film in general. I hope so well, as man, well. If you, yeah. If, if you're ready to do this, um, <laughs> then I am ready. So well, why don't we get this thing kicked off? Uh, by just getting right into it and talking about our favorite films that were not released in 2016. These are the older movies that we saw for the first time this past year, which really resonated with us in some way. So, Aaron, why don't you go first? I would love to. I would love to. And uh, lest anyone worry, I assure you that the majority of this show is going to be about films in 2016. We are reviewing (laughs) that year. Uh, but we thought this would be a fun place to start because, you know, with our format, we like to alternate between not necessarily every other week, but we do alternate between uh, in theater, current movies, and then other movies that we've seen from the past that really resonated with us in some way. So I think this might be something we always do is just talk about those movies that we saw for the first time, because there's always going to be some of those. And I also want to mention that our normal show, our, our way of doing things is to, to go deep into a film. And so we're very spoilery. We, we talk about a, a movie and, and everything that it has to offer. We are not going to do that in this review episode. So you can listen, go ahead, just sit back. You don't have to worry about it. We're not going to spoil any plots for you for anything we talk about. Um, we don't want to, don't want to do that to you, uh, but we do want to hopefully, you know, hit on some of the good points that happened in cinema this year. And then, you know, maybe, maybe talk about something and, and encourage you to see something that you haven't already. With Fantastic. that, yeah. With that being said, I will say this. So we're going to, we're going to go through these, this list here of uh top films from not 2016. I wish there was a cool way to say that, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't find a better way to do it for me. The year outside of 2016 was very much a year of catching up on classics. Um, I, I wrote down a short list, Patrick of about seven movies that <laughs> short list. <laughs> listen, listen, you all know me listeners. And I, I am the, the high rater guy and I'm the guy that, that loves honorable mentions. And I assure you there are honorable mentions coming, but um, yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted to narrow it down. <laughs> so these are the movies <laughs> These were the movies that From really 25. <laughs> I know Aaron, we need three. Okay. But I got it to 13. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a lot of classics for me. So the one I want to start with is by saying I watched a musical this year. I watched several musicals this year um, with La La Land uh, taking, you know, just having this incredible uh, impact on my life. But earlier this year, it kind of started 
with my first ever viewing of Singing in the Rain. And, you know, with it being this amazing year of musical films in general, it really seems appropriate that this was the year that I saw Singing in the Rain and this gem for the first time. Um, my family smiled from start to finish. I, I, I remember watching this with my kids, and it's probably their favorite musical. They had such a good time with this one. We were we were singing the songs to ourselves after it was over, long, long after it was over. I mean, just for days, we would just kind of bust out in the songs from this amazing movie. And it, it's really, it's really just a work of art, you know, and it, it immediately landed a place in uh, my top 20 films of all time, which is pretty high praise for me. Um, you know, everything about it is stunning to me from the cinematography to the choreography and the history behind the choreography. Uh, some of the, the difficulties that they had in filming some of the, these dance scenes it, are just, it, it's unbelievable what uh, some of these actors will put themselves through for their art. And I really am impacted by that. I, 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 uh, I look up to that. I think it's, it's an, it's an amazing thing when someone will dedicate themselves to something so holy uh, this movie has amazing songs, uh, an amazing story, and I think it really just continued to pave the way for my love of musicals. It's kind of sad, too, because you know I can't talk about this movie without mentioning that we just, I mean, a week ago, lost Debbie Reynolds, who uh, was the female lead in this film, an incredible actress, and also the mother of Carrie Fisher, who had died one day prior to that. You know, it's 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 really the most honest story of, of a mother dying of a broken heart that you'll probably ever see in real life happen. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and so, you know, I can't, I have to think about that now when I watch singing in the rain and it's going to be, it's going to be there, uh, because she's not there to see. And I was, I was alive when she passed away and went through that. So that will be interesting, but you know, overall, Patrick, this film just taught me all kinds of things, <laughs> important things like, always singing good morning when you wake up <laughs> to your kids and uh always remembering dignity always dignity mm, that's good man that's good i am so glad that you picked that and uh musicals are a an incredible thing to to have in the repertoire of of movie enjoyment because they are you know they're they're different and at the same time they're just they do something to you that i think other films don't do yeah, yeah well, they really do. What about you? Well, <laughs> if you know me by now, you know that a documentary would have to make this list. Oh, thank goodness. And so <laughs> I would expect three documentaries, listeners. <laughs> I, I I was <laughs> I restrained myself. I really did. I let I, I narrowed it down to one. And the only reason I, I narrowed this down to one was just because this was um you know, documentaries are interesting because you can watch them once and get a real just enjoyment from them. But there are few that I've watched that I really want to watch, you know, a second time, not because I missed something, but just because I enjoyed the experience of that. And it was one that I mentioned on the show, um, I guess about a couple of months ago, and it was Man vs. Snake. And I think you watched it as well. I did. Very good. And it's the story of a, a man who owns this video game record, this high score video, Tim McVeigh, not that Tim McVeigh as they, they make mention of in the documentary, 
Wouldn't but it suck just, to go through your whole life like that, by the way? It would absolutely suck. God, I'd change my name. <laughs> I, I would too, especially if, I've won, if I was getting a record like that. Yeah. But anyway, so it's about a guy who, back in the 80s, in the, the height of arcade um, uh, fandom and, and arcade games, was one of these champions of video game mastery. And there's a, there's a game called Nibbler, and this guy set this record of getting the, being the first person to actually score a million points. This is one of the few games, if not the only game at the time, that actually actually allowed you to score a million points. And so the movie begins with that part of his story, but the whole documentary really talks about his time since then, where he is now, and the revelation that his record actually has already been broken. It just hasn't been officially documented. And so the rest of the doc is about his journey to reclaim that title. And what I enjoyed most about this was twofold. One, and you mentioned this on the episode that we, when we talked about it, that it's a story of a man who wasn't after fame, wasn't after prestige, wasn't after money. He was just after this personal goal of saying, if it's been beaten, I want to genuinely just reclaim it for myself. And there's something valuable about that, of just kind of owning something for your own personal um, value. But at the same time, I'm watching this and I'm going, it's a video game score, right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. And it can be broken. And so I'm, I was, I think what intrigued me most about this documentary was that I was feeling two different things at the same time. I was feeling incredibly proud of this guy and incredibly sorry for him as well, because if my life were defined by a video game record, I don't know. I mean, that to me that that feels less than what it is. But at the same time, I have to realize, you know what? There are things that I put on my life that are valuable that other people could care less about. And so there's this really interesting duality. And probably why I wanted to watch it again was to try to get a fuller understanding of where he was coming from and why he loved this 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 game and this record so much and, and what it was about that and so watching it the second time really got me into a place where i was saying you know what i, I get where he's coming from i wouldn't necessarily agree with it because that's not my thing but i get it and i get the value and the and the motive and the passion that he has for something that he was the first person to accomplish that and so to reclaim that at some point um is some is important to him and you know what i was grateful for was that <laughs> at the end of the the doc he just went on with his life and the record has since been broken like three times but i think i would like to believe that he feels satisfied knowing he reclaimed it he did what he needed to do and his life is really no better or no worse because of it it was just an accomplishment that he enjoyed the moment for and you know, his life moves on. So it's it's just a fascinating documentary from a psychological point of view, from a sociological point of view. Um, and it has to do with 80s video games, which I'm a huge fan of. So, yeah, Man vs. Snake, that was that was one of my favorites this year. That's great. It, it is really good. And I'm super happy that you recommended it on the podcast and, and got me to see it as well because I really enjoyed it. And like you, I love that he was able to, walk, to just walk away in the end. Uh, because you know that that kind of thing can become an obsession, and you mm -hmm. know it was an obsession for a while, but it was also his 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 passion, his calling in a sense uh, for that 
time period. And mm-hmm. he he understood that. He lived in the moment and appreciated it for what it was uh, and was able that was that was able to be enough, which is kind of a theme that I'm gonna get into a little bit later as a running theme throughout my year of 2016 in film. Um all right, so my number two was not really a documentary, but it was kind of like a documentary. It was satire. Um, the second one that I've got to mention is another classic that I watched for the first time this year. And that is Dr. Strangelove or how I learned <laughs> to stop worrying and love the bomb. Now this was another first time viewing that instantly became an all time favorite. We're talking like top 12 ish, I believe is where I've got it right now. I loved this film and I went into it not expecting to love this film. Full disclosure, I am not a super Kubrick fan. This this sounds odd because I've got multiple films by him in my top 25 ever of films. You know, The Shining's up there. Uh, 2001 is up there. But I never think of myself as a, you know, Kubrick disciple, someone who like just, oh, Kubrick's my guy. So I was a little wary about this one. I just didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I didn't, I, first of all, I didn't know it was satire like this going into it. I didn't know it was a comedy per se. Um, and, uh, I I was blown away by it. Just the performances are what makes this film what it is to me. Uh, Peter Sellers is unreal just playing all these different characters and George C. Scott steals every scene he's in, uh, in this film. It made me want to rewatch some of his filmography and just explore that, uh, whether it's like Patton or, something else. I don't know what else he's been in off the top of my head. Um, but I really enjoyed the performances in this one. Um, it's gotta be the best war satire I've ever seen. I laughed so hard (laughs) out loud, constantly nonstop. I watched it twice, almost back to back. I think it was back to back nights. I just, I just had to go back and revisit this one again because it was so good. And uh, it's a movie that honestly, you know, it's one that I would love to watch every year. I think it's it's got staying power. Um, I think there's more that I can pull out of it. Different characters I can kind of focus in on each time I watch it and and see it from a different angle. And I love movies like that. So Doctor Strange Love really really lived up to the hype for me this year. Very cool, man. Yes, it's definitely a classic and. You have to be in a specific frame of mind to enjoy a movie like that. Um, this is one of those that it's it's up there with like, oh, you've got to watch it. It's such a classic. And when I first watched it, I said, this is a classic piece of poo is what this is. And I, I had to actually grow up and, and appreciate it in a way that um, in a, more of an adult world to actually really appreciate it. So I'm glad you got a chance to watch that. Well, in a way, you helped with this because I watched it shortly after our young Frankenstein episode. And I, I had not seen that film before. Um, and I, and I considered that one for this list as well, but since we'd done a podcast on it, I decided to to stay away from it. Um, but that's another one that could easily have been a choice for me. And it was because of the similarities in style and the black and white nature that I was, I was warmed up to that because of Mm -hmm. young Frankenstein. And I think that if I hadn't have had that experience with young Frankenstein, I might not have, been as ready for Dr. Strangelove, but luckily I was primed and ready to go. And, and I, I, I want to go watch, I'm going to, I'm done. You finish. I'm going to go watch Dr. Strangelove <laughs> okay. while you give your number two. Okay. 
<laughs> if I if I can do it in two and a half hours, fantastic. <laughs> it feels like two and a half hours. Um, so this next one, it was a, a movie that came out in two thousand nine, and uh, you know, I think everybody that has a streaming service goes through this where they're just thumbing through like Amazon Prime or. or they're thumbing through Netflix and they see like, because you watch this, here's another recommendation. And, you know, of course when documentaries come up, you know, you have other documentaries, but I don't know what I'd either watched or what I was searching for, but there was a movie that came up that said, you may like this. And it was a movie called frequently asked questions about time travel. And I read the synopsis and it's basically, it says this while drinking at their local pub, social outcasts attempt to navigate a time travel conundrum so three words stood out to me or three phrases social outcast local pub time travel what could go wrong right and i'm watching this i pop it in i pop it in i queue it up and it just grabbed me from the very beginning there's this opening sequence of introducing these three kind of goofballs one of them works in an amusement park and he ends up getting fired. That's not a spoiler. It just happens right in the first like two or three minutes. And it's not a plot point. But they all go to this pub that they're used to going to. And like most nerd people like us, they're sitting around, they're having a pint, and they're talking about sci-fi. They're talking about the geekiness. Two of them, who are considered the geeks, are asking these just obnoxious questions about well if you went back in time and you did this and you know these back to the future type questions you know and and you know what i'm talking about aaron i mean we've had these conversations like well what if they did this and if would that change this and these two guys are having this conversation and their buddy is like you guys are idiots <laughs> and so at one point one of the guys i can't remember goes into a bathroom at the pub and when he comes back out <laughs> it's like Armageddon has happened like the whole world is destroyed <laughs> and so he realizes that he can time travel and so the rest of the movie is about them trying to they're asking these questions that people ask about time travel and they're getting those questions answered in the most absurd way and so it becomes this kind of weird British comedy adventure that by the time you finish it you're going well I think I just experienced a Doctor Who-esque type thing only in more or less modern times without Doctor Who himself. <laughs> and I was just completely uh, engrossed in it. This is one of the films that at some point I'm going to own. I haven't had a chance to to pick it up. But when I think about it, when I was going through this list and I was um, and I was looking, thumbing through the, the movies that I'd seen, I'm going, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That's definitely one that has to go on my list. So, yeah, frequently asked questions about time travel was one that uh, for sure stood out to me. And it, just because of the absurdity, because of the nature of the of the film, and because it's British comedy. I mean, what what can go wrong with British comedy, right? Not much. Um, I, you know, I just wrote it down just now because that sounds like something I've got to watch immediately. That, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to seek that one out uh, <laughs> at the soonest opportunity because it sounds really, really good. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that one. I think somebody quoted it as saying Doctor Who meets Shaun of the Dead. So that should give you an idea of kind of the the type of film you're going to get oh, into. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, my number three and final uh, one that I'm going to mention, well, four honorable mentions, my final one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your 12 honorable mentions. <laughs> listen, listen. Cut me some slack. I'm um, listening. <laughs> 
my show. I can do what I want. Um, <laughs> Muppet Christmas Carol, my British pick. Um, because it's British, it is British because it has uh, who does it have? Patrick, give, give me the give me the name, Patrick. Who's in this movie? That would be Michael Caine. Thank you. And <laughs> Michael Caine is amazing. I, you know, this was a film that you know came to my attention honestly from some of our listeners who were talking about it online and social media, and they had just promoted the heck out of this. They'd said that this was their favorite Christmas movie, and I was I didn't even know this existed, which is sad, but I didn't. And I was like, all right, let's check it out. So my kids and roommate and I sat down to watch it one night. It's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know. There's not a lot of words for me to use. Um, I loved its song songs. I loved its charm, its heart. Obviously, I love Michael Caine. Um, it made me want to seek out more Muppet films. Honestly, I haven't watched a lot of them. I probably did as a kid. I remember The Great Muppet Caper being a favorite when I was a young kid, but I don't remember many others. Um, I really want to watch some more of them. I, I enjoy the dynamic of the different Muppets now more as an adult than I did as a kid for some reason. Mm. Um, I just thought it was a beautiful and engrossing telling of the classic Dickens tale. And it's probably my favorite version of this story. Um, we agreed immediately that this would become a regular in our family Christmas uh, film rotation. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Just, one more sleep till Christmas, Patrick. One more sleep till Christmas. <laughs> or 350 or whatever it is at this point, right? Bah humbug. Bah humbug. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned a Christmas movie as your last pick because mine was also a Christmas movie. Oh, it's like we're in sync. Yeah. Ba, ba, ba. We don't okay, have, sorry. Not the, sorry, not the boy sorry. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. Ooh, that was awesome. Um, anyway, so mine also came as an indirect recommendation from some of our um, listeners as well as people in our podcast community. And this was a 2011 jewel by the name of Arthur Christmas. So I popped this baby in. I believe it was Christmas Eve. Um, At some point, my son was sleeping and my wife was doing some other stuff. And I just decided to check this out. And I, I was just completely smitten by it. I mean, you're talking about a refreshing story about Christmas time. <laughs> you're talking about a great voice cast, um, fantastic animation. It was funny. It was charming. It was endearing. All of these things that I was telling my wife, I said, we've got to put this in the rotation next year. In fact, I think my son's going to be, you know, he's going to almost be five. Maybe he'll really appreciate this. Um, and I just... <laughs> They were just I remember I think I was I was texting you like different different lines from the opening sequence uh, that were just cracking me up. And it just it's it came as such a surprise to me because, um, you know, I, being away in Kenya for two weeks, I missed half of the Christmas season. And so I was going like full throttle to try to catch up on Christmas movies. And, you know, there's a piece of me that was like, man, I don't really want to add another Christmas movie to my repertoire because I want to make sure I catch, you know, X, Y, and Z. But because of your recommendation and because of what was being talked about in our Facebook group and stuff, I just took a chance on this. And I'm so glad I did because just like you with the Muppet Christmas Carol, I'm going to try to force this to be one of the ones uh, that are standards in our family uh, movie viewing around the holidays. It won't take forcing. It'll it'll happen so naturally. It's such a good movie. So really un- underrated. Um, I wish there was a podcast out there that would 
do a podcast episode on that movie because <laughs> it's so <laughs> underrated. It really is. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, it's a fantastic pick. And I think it's pretty cool that we both picked uh, Christmas movies. Listeners, we'll tell you, Patrick and I have not discussed these at all. So this is completely a surprise to us uh, as we go through our lists here. And moving forward now, we're going to start talking about 2016 films. Um, we're not going to just give you a top 20 list uh, like some shows do. I, you know, I've posted my own top 20 uh, online multiple times. You can go find that. Um, maybe I'll throw it on the blog at the website as well. Uh, maybe Patrick will write something up and, and do the same for his 2016 movies. But uh, we, <laughs> well, you know, if I did that, man, it would just be every movie that I saw would be my top 20 because I didn't. I mean, as much as I say I've seen more than in the past, <laughs> I probably haven't seen more than 20. So. <laughs> False hope. I'm giving them false hope. But, you know, my point in this was that, um, you know, we chose to approach this just like we approach our show from the aspect of feeling the films. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of the things that, that made us feel in various different categories. Patrick, uh, I went first last time. So you want to kick us off? We're going to talk about our favorite performances. And I think we, we both have picked two male, two female uh, supporting supporter or supporting supporter supporting or lead, uh, could be either one. Um, and I have no idea who you chose. So you can pick male, female and go for it. Okay. And so these are in no ranking order. Like one's not better than the other. These are just the two male and the two females that yeah. stood out to me this Way year. Way too hard to rank this when we only have two yeah. of each. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No one's second best here. We're always the first, everybody wins a, a participation trophy here. Um, so my first male, that was a very 2016 thing to say, by the way. Very, you know, this is one. This is for you, millennials. Um, no, it's not. It was a bad joke, is what it was. So my moving on. So my first, um, my first pick for male lead uh, would have to be Andrew Garfield from Hacksaw Ridge, playing uh, Desmond Desmond Dodd, who. Das. Um, Doss, not Doc. I knew I'd miss it. Uh, playing Desmond Doss, and watching—I've seen him in, in several things. Uh, my first introduction to him was The Amazing Spider-Man. I really enjoyed him as Peter Parker. I think you and I actually got to go see that movie together. We did. I think were, it's the last movie we've seen together. Sadly, true, true. But he has since been um, on my radar as as an actor that I, I try to look for things that he's in. And so when when this came up, when Hacksaw Ridge came up, which was actually a semi last minute choice when we were scheduling this, you'd say, "Hey, I've just seen stuff about Hacksaw Ridge. We need to put this on the schedule." And I'm like, "Okay, whatever," you know, because you have more insight to the movie world than I do, at least at that time you did. And um, I saw that he was in this, and I was like, "Okay, so we've got Peter Parker playing a soldier. Didn't know anything about the story, and so I'm watching him in this." performance and by maybe the first third of the movie i was i was in i was like all right desmond doss this is who i'm watching i'm not watching a guy portraying desmond doss i'm watching desmond doss and i i loved how he portrayed this meek yet strong character and how that echoed through his actions throughout the film leading up to, you know, one of the bigger climaxes of the film that 
end up being one of my favorite scenes of the year that we're not going to discuss because we're a spoiler free episode tonight. Um, but he just, I think more than anything, he surprised me. Not that I thought he was a bad actor, but just because I'd never seen him in something this in depth. I mean, you see him in a cuss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He seems like a good, I mean, he plays a great Peter Parker because he's a goofball. So to see him play someone whose life is driven by, uh, a sense of real deep faith and conviction. I mean, he owned that role and I absolutely just loved him in this. Wow. I didn't know you'd seen silence already. Cause, uh, what? isn't that, isn't no. it silence? No, nope, Andrew it's Garfield on, playing it's, a, it's a on... film where he's in a deep <laughs> faith, you know, role, right? That's, that's silence. <laughs> Apparently that's yeah, his he... theme for 2016, but, and that's, that's one that I'm excited to catch up with as soon as possible yeah. as well. Um, and, and one that I think is going to expand even further our appreciation of him from what I've seen and heard of his performance about, uh, in that film. So yeah, I'm with you, man. He was, he was phenomenal. Um, he sold it for me, uh, all the different aspects of Doss's, uh, personality type, his, his comedic value is his heartwarming, um, family life values, his faith, all of it, his, mm-hmm. you know, allegiance to his brothers, loyalty. Yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome. So great pick. What about well, you, man? Well, for me, um, you know, the one that I'm going to mention, and again, this is, this could go on and on and on, but I'm going to talk about Chris Pine for a second, because like you, similarly, uh, this is an actor that is kind of typecast in a lot of ways. Uh, we think of him as, as either the goofball in some kind of silly comedies, um, or we think of him as Captain Kirk now. Um, he's my Captain Kirk. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. Uh, I did not really watch the main Star Trek growing up. And so I love the new Star Trek series, the Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond. This was one of my favorites of the year. Um, and I think that he is a big reason why. So this is not to say that he's not amazing in that type of role, but in hell or high water, he knocked my socks off. And you know, this is interesting because this is, this is one of my absolute favorite films of the year. Um, one of my favorite films ever. And I could have easily picked another actor from the same movie in this slot. I could have talked about Ben Foster, who I don't even I have no words for the amazing things that Ben Foster pulls off. Jeff Bridges. I mean, Jeff Bridges is an icon. This guy is an American treasure. Right. But Chris Pine didn't have that coming into this. And what I feel like is he was able to elevate himself into this category of actor that I just had no idea he could reach. Um, He shows some serious acting chops here and he proves that he's just not the new blockbuster Tom Cruise. And I think that there is so much of us that we can see in the way he struggles with what he is doing and why in this film. Um, It's very uh, close to home kind of tale about uh, the way that America is right now. Um, and how our, uh, financially, uh, how, you know, sometimes we get taken advantage of by the system and, uh, he really is able to capture that and, and let us relate to him and his final showdown with Jeff Bridges at the end of this film is, was going to be one of my scenes. If we talked about scenes, because it's one of the best endings to any movie, uh, that I've seen in a long time. It's very unique and it's, it's just a conversation <laughs> kind of thing. And, um, Chris Pine is just 
unbelievable in it. Um, he acts it so, so perfectly. And because of this film, I actually sought out some interviews with him and I learned that this is a, this is a man who his preference is theater acting. Like, I mean, Captain Kirk wants to be a theater actor. Like that's where he came up and that's what he wanted. And just being able to learn more about him and being, you know, energized to go out and do so is something that I thought was really special for me this year. And, uh, he's just now, you know, become a favorite of mine. I really enjoyed him. That is fantastic. And I love, love, love to hear about actors who are not like the characters they portray, especially if they're typecast. Um, in reading the book that I mentioned on the show last week, the, uh, I was saved by the bell, the, uh, the, the EP who became real close with the cast, obviously Peter Engel would say that Mark Paul Gossler, who played Zach Morris was nothing like his character. Like he's this, he's just this real quiet, reserved, serious actor who wants to, you know, he takes everything he does acting wise seriously. And, you know, you try to translate that into a show where he's this outgoing, goofy, suave, almost swashbuckling, like I've got it all together guy. Um, it's just so cool to know that about an actor. And it, it tells me, you know, that for guys like, you know, Garfield and Pine, they can do that. <laughs> They're not who their character, who they portray. And that says a lot about their ability to act, which is just great. Yeah, it really does. And something else that Pine said in one of his interviews that really struck me was he talked a lot about how he wanted to make movies that were positive. He said that he'd been offered a lot of roles in other blockbusters and in other films, even in the other indie stuff, and that he had not chosen them yet because he wanted to make a film that he felt had a positive impact on the world, that he thought that that was his duty as a Hollywood actor was to put something good out into the world. And I was just blown away by that, like ha that somebody would say that, <laughs> you know, that's fantastic. Public. Yeah. So definitely a new, well, I, new Chris Pine fan. Yeah. I want to, I want to see hell or high water. Uh, I recently got it digitally and it just has a welcome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't know, anytime he gets a DVD, I get excited because there's probably a digital copy there that he usually just gives to me. So sharing I really, is caring. Sharing is caring. <laughs> and I would do the same, but you don't care about digital stuff. So if you know, so I've already redeemed my midnight special and my 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 turtles out of the shadows. So I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, go, moving on to my second choice for uh, male male performance uh this it didn't come as a shock to me but i've been more familiar with this this actor's work you know he played babe ruth he's been on roseanne and i uh you know when i saw 10 cloverfield lane i didn't expect john goodman's character to be who he was not because I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what his character was going to be like, but I didn't expect this, this multi-layered character to come out of this, this actor who, um, frankly, I hadn't seen a lot of depth from. I mean, the things that I've seen him in, I've enjoyed him in, but you, you want to talk about someone who makes you feel creepy, 
who <laughs> as a spectator, mm-hmm. you feel like when you're in this room with these other two actors, you feel like you're you're stuck in this, you know, in this shelter with this guy. Um, and I remember when we were reviewing this, I remember writing down even the way that he breathes just gave me chills because it was this heavy, uh, not heavy, but this like shallow breathing from a man who is very heavy set, you know, who probably sounded like he needed um, a CPAP machine to sleep at night. And, you know, just the way the way he looked and the way that he carried himself. I, I, I don't know if this was the actor inside the character or vice versa, but I just know that of those three actors who were all just phenomenal, he stood out to me as the one that, you know, chewed up the scene. (laughs) He's the one that, that, I mean, he, he, he unintentionally or intentionally stole the scenes that he was in and there weren't many that he wasn't in, but (laughs) when you can feel both fear and sadness for a character that says a lot about the acting chops of of an individual and and that's what i felt when i saw him on screen in uh, tin cloverfield lane well that's a pretty awesome choice <laughs> <laughs> did i steal it <laughs> um I, you know i if there was one answer in this entire show that i expected us to have the same choice it was this one um, I I, pre- I was pretty sure that that was going to be a, a common choice, and you know I I really struggled to find. Well, I didn't struggle. I really considered picking someone else out of you know the, it, intentionality, <laughs> just because I knew that you were going to do this, and I wanted to be different. And then I kept thinking, what well, what what if Patrick doesn't, and then we don't get to mention John Goodman? That would be a disservice, and I can't allow that to happen. So yes, John Goodman is the other performance that I have written down. Saw this film so early in the year, one of the first ones before the podcast even started. Um, it has maintained its place as one of my favorites of the year. Um, it's just an incredible, incredible story, and the acting in it is superb, and he, he carries it. He really does. He walks the line between sanity and crazy so perfectly, and without his film, frankly, the movie is nothing. He, he is that great. So as, as, as wonderful as they are in their roles... It's nothing without his performance being what it is. Um, so I I agree. Um, I really, really, really hope that he is recognized come awards season. I know um, it's upon us. The Oscar noms have not been announced. Um, he has picked up some love on at smaller uh, indie, indie festivals and, and critics uh, awards, but... I'm really hoping that he he gets some big time love because he is a big time uh, amazing actor in this movie. Absolutely, man. Uh, I have all those same sentiments for him. All right, so moving on to our female leads or female supporting actresses or whatever. Um, the first one will uh, will have to be. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Blake Lively from The Shallows. Uh, if for no other reason, there are multiple reasons why I picked her, but if for no other reason that it is incredibly difficult to carry a movie on your own. I think that's why guys like Tom Hanks get the credit that they do for things like Castaway. Um, and it, you know, I, I don't, I don't know of many actors that can do that. And when I was watching this movie and trying to kind of dissect it as not only a, <laughs> a shark tale, <laughs> 
and a survival movie, but also as a character study, you know, she sold me on the emotional struggles that she was dealing with leading up to her adventure and being stranded. And because she was able to do that, because of all the little nuances, the facial expressions, the the dialogue that we see in you know in certain sequences by the end of the film when we get the ending that we get you know i felt like it was very believable i didn't feel like i was uh, i felt like i was i felt like i was watching a documentary honestly mm-hmm. felt like this was someone who was very very much you know the circumstances <laughs> aren't necessarily like believable at least not on paper i mean it was like i think it was billed in some circles as jaws for 2016 which you know is a fair assessment but just like jaws it's a character study equally as much as it's a survival movie and you know when you when you have that kind of effort that you have to make and you couple that with having to basically carry most of these scenes on your own uh when you only interact with a handful of things. Um, to me, that says a lot about her ability as um, as an actress. Um, I remember seeing her in in another film that I can't remember. If it com- Age, of Anal- Age of Adeline. I, right. Yeah, I haven't seen it. And, I haven't. I have it on my to watch list. And I don't remember if I watched it before or after The Shallows, but I remember having the response of like, yeah, this does it for me. She is just, she's just a, she's a, she's a beautiful, talented actress. And I, I don't know that there are a lot of those that exist that have both of those qualities, um, that aren't, you know, you know, visually beautiful to look at, but also have the acting chops to carry a movie like the way she did. So, uh, it, you know, she's, she's the main reason, that I enjoyed the shallow so much. It's a good choice. Um, definitely worthy. She is, I, I love what, I love how you put that, that she is a beautiful and talented actress. I think that she doesn't get enough respect for her acting, uh, because she is this stunning, just beautiful woman. And, uh, and the thing that, you know, even transcends that about her beauty is that she's not Hollywood sexy. <laughs> you know, she's not, she's not, she's, she's eloquent sexy she's Mm. beauty is the right word for it she is you know glamorous um in a lot of ways she she reminds me of a marilyn monroe Um, she's very classic classic classic. yeah classic Classic. and 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 so i love that about her as well and i i just thought her acting was incredible in the film obviously we both were really high on that one Uh, so good choice and she's married to ryan reynolds right she is is, let's talk about a talk about a beautiful couple their their baby (laughs) their babies are just it's not fair they're poor (laughs) babies or they're lucky babies whatever um okay so my number one or my my first choice for uh female performances um i'm actually going to go with two female leads who i believe will be oscar contenders um i think that the best actress race for the Oscar and best actress race for golden globes this year is going to probably be the second closest. I would say to best picture. I think it's going to be a super close best picture year as well. Um, Lots of amazing films came out at the end of this year, but these two ladies I think are going to be out there 
really contending for this. Uh, and the first one of those is Emma Stone uh, in La La Land. Um, I have to mention the movie at some point, and I, you know, I could I could place this in every possible category. I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> find Patrick. I was I, I was gonna find a way to put La La Land in my movies that I saw for the first time this year that came out before 2016. I, w- I was going to do it anyway, just because, but but that's why I talked about singing in the rain. So I could squeeze La La Land in there. Um, oh, good call. Good call. But seriously, Emma Stone, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed some of her work in the past, but this movie made me fall in love with her, like hopelessly in love. And obviously I say that with some facetiousness, but this is the kind of film and this is the kind of performance that makes you attached to a person as an actress or an actor to where you say, that's my favorite person. That's the person I want to see everything she's done. One of my goals this year is to go back and rewatch her entire filmography. I want to watch her progression and her growth. And I want to see some of the things she's done uh, that I may not have seen and that I probably will appreciate now. But in this movie, she is just a true artist her ability to show emotion through facial expression and body language is incredible. Her range, it's unlimited. Uh, she can do romance, comedy, serious, and frankly, she can sing. She's pretty much perfect. And she makes a perfect movie, uh, in my opinion. So I loved everything about her performance in this one. Again, kind of like Blake Lively, she she brings an elegance and a classic beauty to the screen. Um, and there's, she's in at least one of my favorite scenes of the year, um, where I I just, you watch her face go through such a range of emotions in these close-ups, Um, and, and that was where she won it for me, won the best actress, uh, Oscar for me. So, so Emma Stone definitely had to be one of my two. Fantastic, man. And, you know, I would probably have to agree with you. I I really like her as an actress, but having not seen La La Land yet, I don't know why you have to say that out loud. I, well, it's, it's, I'm anticipating it happening soon. My wife wants to see it. This is one of the few movies where she's like, no, we need to see this first. And I'm like, gotta see this movie first. Cause we're doing a podcast on it. And she's like, frankly, well, we gotta... we'll figure the podcast out. Go see La La Land. <laughs> I'll bet you're inclined to want to probably do a podcast on La La Land again. I would do you it. Know, with... I would do it with you in a heartbeat. I will pay for you. I will pay for you to go see La La Land. Listeners, you heard it here first, okay? <laughs> I retract I'm that. I do the I'm editing. <laughs> if I hear it on the podcast tomorrow, I'm posting it and timestamping this comment. Because <laughs> you're in, you know, you're in, you know, I think I'm going to win the uh, the Bull Mania Challenge again this year. But Oh, let's not go. Uh, anyway, I'm off topic. My second female performance this year, I'm going to go back to the well of 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm going to go with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And for me, it had to happen the second time I watched this before we we reviewed this one and getting kind of a little bit more detail about the movie because you and I talked about it. Again, we we saw this movie before the podcast was a thing and we talked about our differences in it and, you know, how much you had kind of researched after the fact. And one of the things that that I pulled from those conversations and from my own research was just watching her just like Blake Lively watching her um nonverbal communication and how she is able to deliver emotion in a scene 
without saying anything. Like there were, there were some certain, um, certain facial expressions that she made towards John Goodman, um, during the film that evoked just an incredible sense of sorrow and frustration and anger and fear all at the same time, the way in which she sold the, I'm trapped, but I'm a strong woman. <laughs> like you're talking about a, a literally a strong female lead in here and not there. I, I think maybe near the beginning, but as the movie progressed and I think it, it needed, you know, it did this intentionally she became stronger and she sold that progression. She sold that growth in a span of what, two hours. <laughs> and yeah, if that, I think it might've been even shorter than that. And so for, for me, when I, when I see someone who's able to do that in such a short amount of time, granted filming, I know didn't take an hour and a half or two hours. I mean, you're talking about months of filming, but even, even so with that being able to show a progression of a character and show a timid woman or a seemingly timid woman turn into a strong, empowering female, just, um, protagonist really, really elevated her to the top of my list in terms of, um, in terms of female leads. So yeah, go Mary Elizabeth. I loved you in 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's a fantastic choice. Um, she is amazing. And I think of all of the performances I saw in a, in a female uh, actress this year, I would say she probably has the most complete story arc of any of them. Uh, we, I would we, agree. We watch her from a very beginning opening scene um, until the very ending moment of the film, and she comes completely full circle. Well, not full circle. She, I guess 180. She does a complete 180 um, in her character and that is not easy to pull off with such mm -hmm. um precision so i i think she's amazing too and, and definitely a good choice my friend thank you well my second as i mentioned is another what's going to be a best uh best actress oscar contender i would assume and uh, i've got a couple comments from some of our listeners uh about amy adams in arrival that I pulled hmm. out and they said this, they said some things that I completely agree with. Scott Kelly said that she plays a true heroine. And I love the way he put that. I uh, would agree. He, he, you know, this is a, a female character who plays a scientist. Um, we're going to get some more of these here in 2017 very soon with the, the film hidden figures, um, which I'm excited to see because I think, Movies that highlight women who are smart and intelligent and make logical, well-thought-out decisions are kind of far and few between. This is a movie and this is a character that I want my daughter to see and I want my daughter to say, hey, I could be like her. Mm. Um, especially if my daughter wants to be a linguist because I think linguists are pretty darn cool. And the fact that she could make a linguist carry an entire film uh, to be one of the best movies of the year. I mean, that alone is like, holy moly. Right. But Mindy Cushing, another listener, uh, says she was vulnerable, courageous, and brilliant. And I agree with all of that. She handles this awe of interacting with an alien species so perfectly. And she nails 
the emotional aspects of her character's arc. And I can't go into detail um, about why (laughs) and what she nails, because frankly, that would be in spoiler territory. And I don't want anyone who has not seen this film to have that taken away from them. I, I want them to experience those moments for themselves. But I will say her raw and honest portrayal of a mom, as well as a scientist, is what elevated her performance to something completely special for me this year. That's awesome. And like you, um, I took a chance because, you know, it's hard when you, when, you know, we don't have a chance to, it's a blessing and a curse in that when we, when we don't discuss beforehand, you know, these, these picks, uh, we run the risk of picking the same person and she was up there. And so it was either her or Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but I knew your love for arrival and I had this sneaking suspicion that you were going to pick her. And I was glad you did because, um, you're exactly right. Everything that you said, I completely agree with. She's fantastic in this. In fact, overwhelmingly, uh, a surprise for me. Um, I love her in most everything that I see her in love her as Lois Lane but again, she's got that range, just like I think Andrew Garfield does, of portraying all these different types of characters and doing them in a way that, um, because of her, her dynamic is what surprises me, and the fact that she can do so much and sell so many different types of characters. Um, she would be a person whose filmography I would love to explore, just because I think she's got such a dynamic to it. She does. She has, she has some range, that's for sure. I mean, we, we're going from things like Enchanted to um gosh what was the period kind of gangster piece she was in a couple years ago uh, that got a lot of love i can't remember the name of it but um yeah she's she's really she's been in a lot of movies actually she has a she's a large filmography that might take you some time but would definitely be enjoyable so yeah for sure all right so let's move on um there were there were two categories that we wanted to look at and um i know early on and as we continue to to grow this podcast, we try to reflect the attitude of positive honesty (laughs) that not every film is going to jive with us, but going into most films, there's, you know, there aren't movies that we go into expecting them to disappoint us. Like Mm -hmm. every movie we pick, we want to see, which, you know, should be the case with most people. I mean, if you're going into a movie that you don't really care for, why are you spending the 10 or $12 to go see it or 15 Mm. if you're going to see it in 3d? So that being said, there were probably films this year that exceeded our expectations, and there were films that kind of disappointed us. And so to get the bad out of the way first, Aaron, I'd like to know, this year, was there a film that stood out to you as, some, as a film that you had high hopes for and it just did not meet your expectations? Well, I'm really curious if you can guess this. I think... Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I feel like... La La Land, was that it? La La Land? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was totally disappointed <laughs> by La La Land. I just, I mean, how dare they? Um, So there were two films in contention for this award. Oh, then I know which two they are. <laughs> name them. You want me to name them? Name yeah. Them? I want to see if you knew. <laughs> Well, actually, it's between it's three of them. Actually, <laughs> oh, which what, which ones do you think? Okay, here are the three that I would pick. That I'm thinking two of them are the three: uh, Magnificent Seven, um, the uh, let's see, The Secret Life of Pets, 
and Fantastic Beasts. Those are the three that I would pick. Interesting, interesting. So, so one of those uh, would be uh, my two. My my second one that I would have picked would be Rogue One, but I don't think we need to to rehash that. <laughs> you can go listen to my Rogue One our Rogue One podcast and hear my uh, take on that film. And see the and see the fallout on Facebook. Because and, of oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't lose any listeners. But let's move on. Let's get this out of the way. Um, I love the frame the phrase "positive honesty" that you brought up, and that you actually kind of coined that uh, for us. I, I remember going into this particular film's podcast recording, and I was struggling. I, I remember physically worrying and having a conversation with you beforehand because I said, Patrick, I didn't like this like at all. And, <laughs> and I don't know how to go on a podcast and talk about this because we're, we're a positive show. And that's when you first talked to me about positive honesty. And it made me understand that, you know, what we do here, we don't try to bash a film. We don't try to completely, we don't i guess what i'm saying is we we say things subjectively we understand that the the film that i did not connect with is not necessarily terrible f- film it was not what i wanted or is not good for me but it's totally okay that it's good for you or good for other listeners and i think that's what's important about the way that we approach um our view of film and and i think that it's something everybody should consider doing instead of thinking that their opinion is the only one that exists or their mm-hmm. opinion is the only right one so with that being said, this is a movie that you enjoyed and I did not. And you did name it in your three. And that <laughs> film is the remake of The Magnificent Seven. Yes, Mad now, Seven. I, I go quickly back to my watched this in 2016, but it wasn't from 2016 list. And we'll say one of my honorable mentions that I did not mention was my first ever viewing of Seven Samurai, the original inspiration for this story. And I loved it. I thought it was an amazing movie. Uh, I didn't choose it, much like I didn't choose Citizen Kane, the other honorable mention that I failed to to say anything about. Both absolutely five-star, high praise, some of the best filmmaking that has ever been done, best stories ever told. But not my personal favorites, frankly. My personal favorite of the Seven Samurai tale, the crew up, is probably the original Magnificent Seven. I absolutely love it. I love the cast. I love the way that that film plays out. This remake was one that I went into with unfair high hopes and unfair expectations. I should have known. I should have known when I saw the cast list was the amazing Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, et cetera, et cetera. Ethan Hawke, one of my favorite actors of all time, but I should have known with Chris Pratt being in it that it was going to be more comedic than my liking. And what I got was something that just turned into this superhero version of the story that I knew and loved. And I did not feel that it offered uh, much character development. I didn't feel that it gave us many reasons for our heroes to take up arms. Um, I could go on and on, but that's really not the point. The point is that I didn't enjoy it. And I was saddened by that, frankly. I don't like when I don't enjoy a film. It's not a good experience. This particular one, I had a a good close friend of mine go to the movies with me for the first time in years. I've been asking him to come and 
he's not a big Western fan, but he loves Chris Pratt. So he came to this one and he loved it. And he's sitting there talking about it with this joy. And I'm just like faking it because I don't want him to feel bad about the fact that I was miserable. Um, so yeah, not the best experience for me this year, Patrick, uh, magnificent seven. I'm glad that it's in the past. It's in the rear view and every movie in 2017 is going to be fantastic for me. Well, I hope that's the case for you. Or else we're going to have more to pick from biggest disappointments. If that's the case. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Uh, positivity? Did you have anything that did not meet your expectations? Well, yes and no. I mean, I really had a problem. I had a hard time picking something because I, I really enjoyed pretty much every movie experience that I went to. There wasn't one that I had incredibly high hopes and it just didn't meet those expectations at all. One was, And so when I say this, I say it very indirectly. Um, in the middle part of the summer, I think we called an audible. We were trying to plan. Um, I think ID4 Resurgence was not getting a lot of love and I wasn't really, quote, feeling it about going to see it. And you and I had this conversation and we said, well, what else is out there? And so we decided to forego that one and insert Steven Spielberg's The BFG. Um, Hadn't heard a lot about it, but heard enough kind of decent buzz that it sounds like it's going to be a good film. Um, And so I went in, you know, expecting that kind of Steven Spielberg magic. And I think for me, the disappointment didn't come from the fact that it was a disappointing movie that I had these high hopes or that I'd seen the book and it didn't line up with the book because I haven't read the book. But the fact that it didn't feel like it had that Spielberg magic. I mean, there were some really great moments. And if you guys want to go back and listen to our episode, I mean, that we, we pulled out several great little moments. But it it was a movie that I think you mentioned, I don't, it wasn't on this one necessarily, but you there are films that you go see that you leave the theater and you don't really think about again. And this was one of those for me. I, I wanted to really like it and I enjoyed it. But when I left the theater and after we finished our episode, it didn't really come back to me. I didn't really feel like I wanted to revisit it. Um, you know, if my son sees it, you know, in the menu of our streaming services, Hey, what's that? Then, you know, and he says, I want to see that. I won't have a problem saying, well, let's watch it. Uh, but at the same time, it just didn't leave me feeling like, man, that was, that was pretty amazing. Like I was not amazed. And, um, but I say that with the caveat that I didn't have it because it was sort of a last minute addition. Um, it didn't disappoint me. It just didn't leave me kind of breathless or wanting to, to, you know, extend the conversation and social media, you know? Yep. I, I know what you mean. I mean, that's, that's a movie that is about a magical fairy tale essentially. And, and it didn't quite get me with the sense of wonder that I was looking for either. So, um, I totally understand that, you know, my honorable mention you was one that you just said, uh, and that's independence day resurgence. <laughs> and it's one of my biggest appointments because I still haven't seen it, which also extremely sad to me. Um, that it's been received so poorly that I can't even bring myself to watch it anymore. I, I just haven't. I mean, I'm sure I will one day, but I really wanted to love this. I was excited about it a lot. Mm. Very, very excited about it. And uh, I'd still, I've, I've had it queued up here at home for months now. And I just, I, every time I go to watch something, I look at it 
I look at the thing next to it and I go, hmm, that thing next to it's probably better. And I don't choose it. And that, that's, that's very disappointing. Well, well, what about good stuff? Let's talk about good stuff. So did you, yeah, did so you have one that was, uh, your, your most exciting? I'm sure this is a much happier category. Oh yes. And there were many that I could have picked from. So unlike the biggest disappointment, there were, there were several that I wanted to put in this category, but the one that really stood out to me was midnight special, uh, that we, that we recorded early on. Jeff Nichols, as you guys know, is a favorite director of ours. He's a local guy to Arkansas and he, um, you know, I wasn't familiar with a lot of his filmography. I'd seen mud, I'd seen, um, shotgun stories, but I hadn't seen, uh, take shelter yet. And so, um, I was familiar enough with his, with some of his work and the way he tells stories. So when, um, when Midnight Special came out, I saw that it had kind of a sci-fi feel. And I mentioned the BFG not having, you know, having a Steven Spielberg directed type, you know, having Steve, having Spielberg direct it, but not having that Spielberg magic. The irony is that my most exceeded expectation movie, Midnight Special, didn't have Spielberg at the helm, but it had that Spielberg magic. And I got to tell you, I mean, it just, it, it completely exceeded my expectations. I walked out of the theater going, I've got to own that. And, uh, when it came in the mail last week, I was, I was ready and willing to queue it up. (laughs) And unfortunately, you know, time and schedule have kept me from getting a chance to sit down with that because other stuff is happening. But I am excited to get a chance to revisit it. I, I loved everything about it. I loved um, all of the characters in it. Michael Shannon was great in it. I loved the soundtrack. I loved the cinematography. I loved the typography at the very beginning of the title sequence. I mean, it's just all those things. And if I'm ever going to get into a directorial, in, into a director's chair, I want to be like Jeff Nichols. I want to approach storytelling like he does, telling stories that I'm familiar with, that I'm comfortable with, that I want to tell, and not get caught up in trying to create the next big blockbuster. And that's what really what 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 really made me attracted to this movie and why it exceeded my expectations was because it was a movie that was trying to do exactly what it did and not trying to do anything more. And because of that, I I, I just loved it even more. Great choice. <clears throat> really, really, really great choice. Um, I agree completely that it's one that I'm anxious to revisit. I haven't seen it since that theater viewing many, many months ago, but it connected with me in a big way as well. And as a fantastic choice, it, it, you know, and for it to exceed our expectations was pretty special because they were pretty high going into it. Honestly, (laughs) when we heard Jeff Nichols and sci-fi, we were both like, Oh, Jeff Nichols, sci-fi Spielberg, like this is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he can, he was able to elevate it to a point that it still exceeded your expectations is just just such an awesome deal and and very rare, honestly. Yeah. So what about you? What movie exceeded your expectations? I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll be surprised at this or maybe I will. Well, I had a few, honestly. Um, I had a few that, that, uh, exceeded my expectations, um, in many different ways. And, and I would love to talk about them all, but I can't. So the one I'm going to choose is that Blake Lively film, the shallows. Really? Oh yeah. So this is a mo- and the reason I'm choosing this is because frankly, I need to talk about it some more. 
<laughs> I have championed this sucker on social media with some of my horror friends. Uh, we've had conversations about whether or not this is horror, and then they devolve into whether or not this is good. <laughs> and I, I end up uh, carrying the torch, so to speak. But if you would have told me a year ago, Patrick, that a film with Blake Lively alone facing off against an animatronic shark uh, would land firmly in my top 10 films of the year, I would have laughed you out of the room. I would have I would have told you you were crazy. Um, you tell me I'm crazy anyway, but that would have given me legitimate reason. To that's be, true. You know. But, you know, as of right now, it sits right there at number nine. Uh, on my list and it's been there all year it's held steady every time i've revisited my list and i've thought about how to move stuff up move stuff down i've watched it multiple times i own it and i like it more every time i see it and and you mentioned a lot of those reasons why which is her performance um i think it's a visually stunning film and the end sequence in particular the title see the credits sequence is one of the most i know right most gorgeous credit sequences i've ever seen i don't think i've ever sat in my chair in a theater just stunned by the beauty of the end credits but i was and um you know it also offers an unexpectedly deep character performance by blake lively so there's there's so much more to it than just her in a bikini in fact people mention that and i kind of just shrug and just to shake my head at him because she's not even in a bikini. Most of the film she's in some form of like her wetsuit, uh, whether it's shredded or full on. Um, it's, it's definitely not a sexualized movie, mm-hmm. which it could have gone that route so easily. It could have relied on her beauty and her body type, uh, and, and her being all the, that the film had to sell, uh, to really play that up. But it didn't, it didn't at all. And I, and I appreciated that a lot. And so, it's not as perfect of a film as Jaws, but it is still like a highly, highly enjoyable experience for me and one that was an awesome theater experience. The theater experience of this one blew me away more than any other. Like as far as expectation wise, I didn't expect the theater experience to be as good as it was. Um, and it's a movie that I'm just going to rewatch over and over and over. So I, I loved it. I thought The Shallows was great. That's great, man. And the fact that you mentioned the theater experience, I think, played into my enjoyment of it as, as well. That's a theater movie. That is a movie you have to experience in the dark on a big screen uh, just because it feels like a theatrical film. And that sounds really stupid to say that because any film in the theater should be, what, a theatrical film? But some you know, some films are not. I mean, your, your Lord of the Rings should be because it's epic. But this is one of those movies that it demands a big screen with all the cinematography and just the sound or lack of sound, the music or lack of music. And, uh, the theater experience is, I think just as valuable as the actual movie itself. I agree. And my honorable mention for this one, I I just got to throw out there quickly is Assassin's Creed. Um, another one that is just getting kind of lambasted in the reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just don't understand the hatred or discontent for this film. I mean, there's other people out there that champion it with me. Um, our, our friend Andrew Dice from Screen Rant is a big supporter of this movie. Um, there's definitely people out there that have enjoyed it, and I just I don't get it. Um, I, I, I grinned from ear to ear from 
opening to end of this movie. I loved it. I had such a great experience watching it. Um, and it's, I feel it's highly, highly, highly underrated. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed that as well. It'll be on my to watch list once it makes it to the, uh, the home video market. Perfect. Um, I, I we're, I'm loving this, Aaron. I'm absolutely loving this. I'm loving the fact that we have a, a, a place to do this. And even if we're the only two that end up listening to this, I will be pleasantly uh, happy just just as just as well. So many episodes that we've done. I think we've hit the official forty episode mark with last week's. Um, with well, this week, yeah. With this uh, coming with, episode will be number forty, the beginning of be, Nolan month. That's right. It will be. It's fantastic. And so we have had lots of time to talk. We've had lots of things to talk about. And I want to ask you, of all these episodes and minisodes that we've done together, was there one that stood out to you as being the most entertaining, the most enjoyable? Um, I know that as I think about this, there are several that come to mind. I wish I could name all of them, but we don't have that kind of time. But was there one, uh, maybe a couple, but definitely one that stood out to you as like, yeah, if this is a movie, if this is a episode for 2016, that's the one I want to gravitate to. There is, there is, and I and I cheated, I cheated, I picked two, but I will tell you, I broke them, <laughs> I broke them apart, and I picked one main episode, and I picked one minisode. Which, okay. by the way, this is actually considered a minisode because we call all of our non-main episodes minisodes, but. This is probably going to be the longest episode we've ever recorded. So, you know what? Eh, so be it. We, we're, we're past the halfway mark, folks. So uh, hang in there. I think you're hopefully enjoying this and uh, can take a little more. The, the end will be worth it, I promise. We're going to get some, to some good stuff here. And, here coming and you can too. hit the pause button. You That's don't true. have to continue That's to true. listen. You don't have to listen to us in one sitting. There are show notes. If you want to skip ahead to the other stuff, you can do that. But please, stick with us because we're... We're here for you. We're here for us, but we're here for you, too. <laughs> well, you know, I just <laughs> mentioned... The movie that we talked about in my favorite episode, not three minutes ago. And that (laughs) is our Jaws episode. I loved it. I I remember, you know, there's other episodes we've done that I've had probably almost just as good of an experience, if not as good. But this was the first one. This episode was the one that made me believe that this was what we were meant to do in a way like this was the one that made me totally see both of our passions kind of come together for this podcast and just come out in a in in an incredible way and you know i this was an episode that i experienced with some awesome editing techniques that I, i don't do a lot of frankly because we just don't have the time to do the cool stuff like putting in trailers and putting in, um, you know, music from the movies and stuff like that. I'd love to, I really would, but, um, we choose not to do that and to keep it, keep it conversational. But we did some of that in that episode and I think it really worked well. I think the episode was timed perfectly for summer. Um, so it came out at a good time and the episode had one of the most emotional moments of our entire podcast um mm. past uh for me which was talking about Quint's speech uh yeah. regarding the USS Indianapolis and being able to play the speech uh on that episode and then talk about it and talk about my experiences uh in the US Navy um my trainings that I went through my 
learning of the history of the USS Indianapolis and how close that was to me um, was special. And, and, and getting to share that with all of our listeners and getting to hear feedback from our listeners about this episode and about that moment um, was the highlight of the year for me as far as our that's episodes great, go. That's so great, that, man. So that's my main one. Okay. And so your mini-sode, what would be your mini-sode then? Well, we recently recorded, not you and I, because um, you haven't seen it, but uh, <laughs> we collectively with a guest host here, uh, Blaine Grimes, mm-hmm. uh, we recently recorded a mini-sode on a little film called La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I-, I tried hard to find places to leave La La Land off this list because I, I could fill this list with La La Land in every category pretty much. Um, but I, it's not often that I see a movie that just, well, it, I've never done it that I can remember since I cared about movies where I saw a movie that was like, okay, that's an instant top 10 favorite of all time. Top five favorite of all time. You know, not since Lord of the Rings came out has that happened for me. Um, and so being able to talk through that with someone that had an appreciation for the film, had an appreciation for the history of the musicals that inspired this film was a complete joy from start to finish. We were able to discuss Damien Chazelle's past works, Whiplash, could do some compare and contrast, and just I got to gush about what is very quickly becoming my favorite movie of all time. Like It is that impactful to me. I, I know that sounds somewhat overblown probably to people listening, but um, it, it truly is that important to me. And so I have to talk, I have to say that that was one of my best experiences of the year being able to talk about it. That's fantastic. I'm sorry. I missed that. I really, you know, I, and if, if you're serious, if, if we can fit it into the schedule and I can catch La La Land, we can do a full episode on it at some point, <laughs> maybe as a special. Or yeah, something. I would love to. After it wins Best Picture, we should do that. Okay. <laughs> it's a celebratory episode for the Best Picture episode or whatever. Um, okay, so since you got to do an, uh, a full episode mini-sode, I'm going to pick two as well. Woohoo! My, and I had a really tough time because I've, in all honesty, I've had just a ton of fun. Um, you know, the Mag 7 episode was great for me because uh, the opening bit was just hysterical. I mean, listening back to it was just just hilarious. <laughs> um, but it, but also <laughs> the fact so that good. but also the fact that we you know we had a just you know we had a difference of opinion, so that made it for a good conversation. But for me, the 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 episode that stood out to me the most was our Walter Mitty episode. Mm. And I think, on a personal level, because that movie resonates with me in a way that not a lot of films do. Like this is easily top five of all time for me. And I don't do a lot of lists. So when I put something in my top five or top 10, it's a serious deal because I don't do a lot of shifting. Um, and I don't really have an official top 10. I just say, this is a movie that I will revisit as many times as I can. So to be able to talk about it, to be able to get inspiration from our discussion and then to continue that discussion after the fact with other people in, in our Facebook group and throughout other podcasts, I was just incredibly encouraged and I reconnected with the themes of that film as a result of those conversations. And I walked away going, that was a fantastic episode to talk about or to talk a movie to talk about on that episode. Everything that we talked about, our connecting points, 
the the things that it, it was one of those episodes where I felt like we both because we, we read a ton of notes and we know that we're not going to get through every point that we that we write down. Yeah. And I felt and I felt like in that particular episode, at least on my end, I got to talk about either from myself or from something that you would would say, I got to talk about everything that I wanted to talk about and hear feedback from you. And, you know, equally as much the fact that you enjoyed the film as much as I did. Um, because I mean, honestly guys, I mean, we, we, we mostly agree on these films. We both enjoy most of the movies that we see, but I think this was one in particular that I realized through the course of our conversation that we both connected in almost the same depth to this movie uh, as each other. And, and so to be together on that was just really encouraging to me. So I had a great time with it. It's a good choice. I mean, um, you picked it too. Uh, you you picked that <laughs> film for us, and I remember kind of balking at it. I mean, I'd seen it and I liked it, but I was like, really? I, I actually remember like kind of wanting to push it off. Like maybe if I just keep pushing, you will never have to do this. <laughs> and I am so grateful that we did it because you're right. I connected with it in a whole new way. And again, we talk about this often, but for me, I got to have the experience of watching it this time with my kids. And they were in awe and they had a sense of wonder about them when they watched this movie. And it just totally impacted my own appreciation for it. So great. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that episode as well. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons we started this podcast came at the expense of Batman v Superman and all the criticism that it was getting. And there was a mini episode that we had the privilege of doing. And that's, that's how I'm going to word it because it was an absolute privilege. We had a chance to have Andrew Dice from uh, the screen rant.com uh, from screen rant.com. Who's a writer over there, a fantastic writer, someone that I've followed uh, for several years to have him on to talk about film criticism and crazy fandom that seems to be like elevated this year, or at least in the last couple of years when it comes to movies and just criticism in general and that that minisode was honestly man i could have just been quiet the whole time because <laughs> you i just, just wanted enjoyed... to listen to him talk i know exactly because <laughs> um i've talked I, probably not on here but I, but i mentioned that there are people that have a writing voice and there are people that have a speaking voice you know the way in which you and i talk is different than the way in which we write like i love reading the things that you write when it comes to like your picks um, and how you articulate your thoughts and things like that. Uh, and it's different than the way that you and I conversate or the way in which you, you know, when we talk about Battlestar through Voxer, it's different. <laughs> it's a different kind of, of dialogue. It's a different kind of descriptor uh, or, or, or conversation. So to hear the voice of a person whose writing style I've gotten to know, it's weird because they're almost in sync. They're, they're equally as intellectual they're equally as sophisticated equally as very articulate and you know he's he's just he's a smart guy he's a smart writer and i loved having him on because not only because for me as a as a fan it was just great to have him on but the things that we were talking about are to me very important to both of us they're incredibly important and if, if I, if someone says, well, you know, what's your podcast about? And I tell them and they say, well, is there an episode I should listen to? And I say, well, listen to two, listen to the Jaws episode 
and listen to this episode with Andrew Dice because those two episodes, I think, give you a culmination of the spirit of what our podcast is about and what we try to what we try to promote, um, promote and at the same time fight. <laughs> and I'm just I'm so glad that he agreed to be on it. Uh, it made my day um, leading up to that. You know, hearing his response, I was like, this is fantastic. And I got a little giddy. And so, Andrew, if you're listening, thanks, man. And um, if we can get you on again soon, again, that's going to make me happy. So I'm, uh, I was excited to, to do that one. And uh, so those are my two picks. Great, great choice. Uh, really enjoyed that episode and, and hopeful that we can uh, have Andrew back on to talk about another movie or topic soon. So, well, Patrick, uh, you know, this is, we've, we've, we've gone through a lot of different kind of topics and now we're going to get to that point where we do hit the more traditional, uh, point where people normally would give like, say their top five or top 10 films of the year. Uh, but we're going to mix that up as we have all night. And we are going to talk about our feeling five, which I feel like should probably eventually be integrated into the fast and the furious titles, uh, somewhere <laughs> like the you know fast and the feeling or you know the feeling and the five. furious you know like it it's gonna happen this movie series goes on long enough you watch feeling the furious five. Oh, beautiful <laughs> i love it but these are the films so we, we decided to go with the feeling five because these are the films that we connected with most one of the the staples of our shows our episodes is the connecting point that's that that moment where we resonated the most with the film that we want to boil it all down to one single scene or one single moment. What are we going to take away from it? And so with that in mind, these are the five movies this year that overall did that for us. And these are not in order. So these are just five. They're not five through one. So we're not going to go, Hey, what's your five? Hey, what's your five? It's just give us your five. Let's we'll go through them one by one. Um, and we'll talk about them briefly. And, and, and I will start and just go ahead and get it out of the way because we all know it's coming. <laughs> Batman v. Superman. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> I actually <laughs> loved Batman v. <laughs> Batman v. Superman. And Batman v. Superman was the film. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Patrick. Batman v. Superman, I saw it in the theaters three times. There is only one other film that I've seen in the theaters three times this year. And I'm on my way to see it a fourth time probably next week with my daughter on a daddy-daughter date. Is Mag Seven still in the theater? Is that? Don't you dare! <laughs> Don't you, now you're making I'm sorry, me I'm, now I'm, you're I'm making I'm, me angry, and you wouldn't okay. like me when I'm angry. Um, sorry. Go ahead. La La Land, Patrick. Yeah, La La Land. I'm sorry, I didn't. This mean, I is the film of my decade, the film of my life at this point. Probably, um, it's all about love. It's all about chasing dreams, and it's all about this idea and this theme of your art. And the, your art being worth it, worth whatever the cost is. And also, it's about the moments that you've had in your life being good enough. And Arrival has a similar concept to it underlying where it's about being ha- happy with what you've had. And, uh, and so both of those films kind of resonated with me with that topic and, you know, La La Land, you know, my jazz is podcasting. I've discovered that this year. So it's so 
strong for me right now. I just I have this Ryan Gosling moment. This this gif is going around the internet right now like crazy of Ryan Gosling talking about jazz and how it's very, very exciting. And, and that's how I feel about podcasting. It's how I feel about talking to you about movies and uh, interacting with our listeners on social media and in person and and just constantly being able to, to hear various opinions and, and find out what people took away from different stories that, that maybe will enlighten the way that I view it. So La La Land wraps all that up into a ball. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dreamer, man. I am a hopeless romantic. I am a dreamer. I love love. <laughs> and so this one hits me in the sweet spot. Um, it grabbed my heart. It has not let go for a month now. And so, uh, you know, it has to be on this list. It's, it's my number one. If it was going to be numbered, it is, it is that to me. So there it is. That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned like an overarching theme. I'm, I don't know if you have this in all of your films that you've picked. But I know for me, each of the five that I've picked have a theme of their own, at least one that I've connected with. And that's the theme of your life having value and your life having meaning um, as ordinary as it would seem. And you embrace that. You embrace the fact that you have, I mean, I think you mentioned you have purpose. And that purpose lends itself to passion and that passion lends itself to, um, success defined in a particular person's, you know, own life, not necessarily in the world's way. But, um, so for me, the first one that did that was, was Hacksaw Ridge and, and Desmond Doss just really his character, this, this almost this biographical story of a guy who chose to serve yet chose to, but at the same time what could have been in conflict with his faith chose to stand firm in his faith and live out this this duality and to do it at the expense of the incredible thing that he did um look i'm not going to spoil this because this is historical that his rescuing of of a ton of soldiers on the ridge um, for me, knowing that here's a guy who was, had his convictions, but he didn't let his convictions dictate what he knew was right in the eyes of the world around him. He knew he had to go and serve, but he, but he felt in his heart that this was something that didn't conflict with his beliefs. The only thing that conflicted was the fact that he didn't carry a gun, which yes, is kind of a big deal. If you're going to be a soldier, you probably need to have a gun, but I loved that theme of of his life and how he was confident in who he was and he didn't let anything sway that faith that he had and how his faith ended up driving him to that moment that you know he became famous for. And so I, I really connected with that. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, there's a lot of movies that could be on my list. Um, I had a huge connection with Hacksaw Ridge as well. I talked about it in our episode, how leaving that film, <laughs> I was trying to take voice notes uh, mm. like I always do after our podcast episodes, and I couldn't. I was actually in tears. Um, I had to stop, <laughs> and it took me 30 minutes or so driving home uh, in order to like get okay to where I could start taking notes because it really, really impacted me as well, both from a... Um, just a visceral standpoint, like seeing the depiction of war 
and uh, my respect for what Desmond Doss accomplished uh, in, in putting his life in danger to do what he did um, and, and the reasons, you know, resonating with my own personal faith um, as well. So it's, yeah, huge, hugely impactful movie for me as well and great choice. You know, my other, my next one that I'm going to mention, um, they, they all do have a theme of sense. It's different for, for each of them, but you know, the theme in this next one was something that also was a common theme in movies in 2016. Uh, but this one kind of sums it up for me and is also another one that I had issues driving home with. <laughs> and that is uh, Manchester by the sea. And this is another film that I know you haven't seen, so I'm not going to go into too much detail uh, and spoil it for you or our listeners. Um, I will spoil that you and I are going to, uh, we do have this on the schedule to do a mini sode on Manchester by the sea around Oscar time. So, uh, if you, uh, or want to get out there and, and see this film before then, I highly recommend it. Um, I, what was it, Patrick, that I said, I said it comes out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD, I think the Tuesday before the Oscars, I think it is. Yeah. I think something like that. Yeah. I think yeah. we're going to, we're actually going to drop our episode literally a couple days right before the Oscars. And, and this is a movie that could win Best Picture, frankly. Uh, it really could. But this is the most raw and real portrayal of dealing with an immense tragedy, human close tragedy in life that I think I've ever seen. Um, Casey Affleck is incredible in this film. Uh, he is us throughout it. He portrays a man who cannot get past his grief. And uh, one of my favorite podcasts is, is, is called Real World Theology. And so I, I've got to tell the I've got to say that because I don't want to just claim some of the things they talked about in their latest uh, episode as my own. They were having a discussion about this film and, and it came up that, you know, maybe this is a movie where our character is doing the best he can. And that's that that phrase for me sums up Manchester by the sea. Um, you know, we've all gone through tragedies and we've all had grief and it looks different for all of us. Um, we, we all won't deal with the exact same tragedy and story that is told in Manchester by the sea, but we've all had something that feels like it's equally as bad, even if it's maybe objectively not. And that's not the point. The point is that we have to deal with it somehow. And this is a movie that is about dealing with it. Um, and it's not about telling you how to deal with it. It's just about watching a guy go through his life and deal with it. And it is hard to watch. I mean, I get choked up talking about it, to be honest with you, because you feel yourself in this picture when you watch it. And, um, and it's something special. Uh, and the way in which I related to this movie was very powerful. So, uh, it, it was one of my feeling five for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it and talking about it with you uh, when we get around to it. It's going to be fun. For me, the the next one on the list, again, we're not ranking them, but just the one that I'm thinking of offhand is Midnight Special. The thing that I enjoyed about this most was that you had this big sci-fi element. And I, I work with someone who actually had an opportunity to work with Jeff Nichols on Mud. She was a I can't remember what her role was, but she got a chance to be on set and and work with the cast and crew in, in some different ways. I think she did some some uh, some grip work or whatever. But I asked her, I said, hey, have you seen Jeff's latest? And this was a while back. This is before Loving came out. And she said, no, I don't really like scary sci-fi. And I said, this is not scary sci-fi. It's, it's sci-fi, but it has this 
father son element to it that is just so precious. And I, I loved that element of the story. I loved that that was equally as much the driving force. And seeing how Shannon, his character, struggled with um, the nature of his son <laughs> and having to eventually, you know, push him to, um, you know, give, you know, the whole movie is almost like a, it's, it's like a, a quiet chase <laughs> to chase of, of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an escaping of, of these guys. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but what I really connected with was this, this father son theme of having to realize that you have to let someone go and fulfill their destiny in order for them to, uh, be great in order to support them in that. And I got to thinking about that with my own son, that the day that he leaves for college or the day that he goes off and does whatever it he's, he's going to do. And he's not under my supervision. He's not under my protection. Um, that's where I really connected with this the most. And it surprised me because I didn't expect that from a movie like midnight special. <laughs> of course you don't expect the things you get from Jeff Nichols. And it's a good thing. It's, it's a, it's a wonderfully, surprising thing to get something um unexpected from a jeff nichols movie and um again going back to that theme of purpose to know that my son is going to have a purpose that as much as i could think about what it could be based on the fact that you know he loves doing choreography while watching <laughs> hairspray that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a broadway star <laughs> and not that i want that for him but you know what i'm saying uh he's going to do something and that something may scare me. <laughs> that something may be something that uh, I am not comfortable with, but it's what he's meant to do. And I, I want to be the best. I want to be the, the cheerleader for him. I want to be the one that supports him the most, the one that he can come to and say, my dad, no matter what, is going to love me through that choice that I make. So um, that's where I really connected with the most with this movie. Well, bro, um I'm just going to get this out of the way now uh, because that's also my list and uh, it's also for the same reasons. So um, I actually, I actually wrote down something very simple and I'm not going to go much beyond this, but I just said that, you know, for me, this movie is about unpacking the scariness, uh, the vulnerability and the beauty of fatherhood. Boom. And you know, what you said is basically that in a nutshell or, or that is everything wrapped into a nutshell. So, um, I don't want to talk too much more about it, but it is, it is so impactful. Um, and I do believe that as a father, um, it, it's, it's more easy to resonate with this, uh, because you see yourself in these characters, you see yourself in Michael Shannon, um, you see your own son, uh, in his son. And, uh, and you think about what you would do in this situation the whole time it's happening. You cannot separate yourself from that. Right. Um, yeah. viewpoint. So, um, yeah, it's one of mine as well. Fantastic. So since you had the same one, is it my turn again? It or is your turn again. <laughs> yeah, it's your turn again. <laughs> Couldn't figure out the logistics. Okay. Um, well, this is one that kind of came as a, as a surprise to me. It was one that I'd heard eh, a little bit about this. You know, I, I look at, I look at my friend Aaron here and I go, here's a guy that did his best to not watch a lot of trailers this year because he didn't want to be spoiled. He wanted to see what it would be like if he just walked into a movie theater cold. And 
I would love to have been with him in those theater experiences where he was covering his eyes and his ears and, you know, trying to avoid every hint Looked of, like a fool. Yeah. It's how I look when I watch scary movies in the theater, really. Um, if we're going to be honest about things, but this particular movie, I either because I just didn't have a huge amount of interest in it or because I didn't hear a lot about it. Um, I just didn't have a lot of information on it. And when I saw it, and more so when I read more about it and I listened to podcasts about it, it became very apparent that it was an important film of 2016. Uh, and that movie was uh, was Arrival. Uh, we mentioned it before. Amy Adams, you know, being your being your um, your performance by a female lead, uh, one of your favorites. And I think for me, seeing seeing her character do exactly what you described her as and being this rounded, smart, incredibly ambitious and incredibly tender character, um, embracing, um, (laughs) again, without giving too much away, embracing what she's meant to do and having to kind of deal with that um, along with all of these overarching themes about the need for each other, (laughs) the need to understand what your purpose is in the grand scheme of things when it comes to relationships with one another and struggling with understanding um, how to make hard choices, knowing what the consequences could be. I mean, these were themes that resonated throughout the film. And again, it came from a sideways place in the form of sci-fi this unexpected type thing and i think you and i've we've, we've mentioned this several times either here or offline about how thinking man sci-fi is kind of where our sweet spot is when it comes to film because science fiction gives writers and directors the opportunity to explore those social and psychological and spiritual things that we think about and that we experience in a way that's very approachable and that's really what gravitated me towards arrival was the fact that it did all those things and still gave me a very intriguing story. And so I connected with it on a multitude of levels, not just from those personal ones, but also from a cinematic one. It was a beautiful movie to watch. And, uh, and I thought it was fantastic. It really is. And, and it easily could have made my list as well. Um, like for the exact same reasons you, you mentioned is the only film that I've ever podcasted on twice. So far, I liked it that much. I just had to talk more about that movie and its impact on me. It was profound, to be honest. Uh, so I thought that was uh, a great one as well. So my, where are we at? My fourth choice. Uh, my fourth choice is the movie that we just podcasted on recently, and that is Passengers. Uh, you know, this is an interesting film. Uh, it was one that was super hyped. Uh, we looked very much forward to this one all year long. It was one of the the few that I maintained a no trailer rule for and did not watch one at all, but I had heard them. So I had similar expectations to those that had seen the trailer. Uh, I was expecting some more kind of cerebral side. I was expecting a rival, <laughs> but with maybe a little more action and a little more uh, thriller, frankly, but that's not what I got. Um, but as I watched this movie and as I, left it, it stuck with me for hours and then it stuck with me for days. And then there was a week that had gone by and I was still thinking about passengers. And, 
you know what? Frankly, you can't ignore that. Um, and that's an impact. And to me, that's something that's almost as important as any, any other feeling I have when watching a film is, is if it does that to me. So this was, uh, you know, one that we had a great time talking about. It, it almost made my cut for the best episode, frankly, because the way in which you had uh, a great theory that blew my mind <laughs> and I, I got to react to that in real time on, on our show. And uh, I've thought about it ever since, frankly, but this movie just does such a great job of talking about our need for companionship. And again, kind of with the same theme of, of arrival and with La La Land, it's about that living in the moment, right? Like you got your, you got your life, you got your one chance here. You got your time. Don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about what's in the past. You have each other. You like each other. You love each other. This is what you have. Make the best of what you have now. Do what you can right now. Um, And that's a constant struggle for me in real life. And so that's how it resonated with me. You know, just putting my phone down and, and being present it's a, it's it's always a battle. I, I, I'm doing much better at it now than I have in in a long time. But it's it's a thing with with our culture these days, and so that's the kind of thing that this movie made me think about. Um, it made me think about the fact that love is not always falling in love. Sometimes sometimes we choose. You know, love is a choice. It's an action. You know, you can make yourself love someone. You really can. That's that's true. Um, it's not all infatuation. And so this film shows us some of that. Um, and, and, and I really, really love that about it. And it just, it still got me thinking about it. I really want to go see it again. I've had friends message me and say, dude, I'm still thinking about passengers too. And I want to go see it again. I I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. I think so. That had to be one of my five. I'm glad you mentioned it because that was one of my five as well. All the same reasons that you did. And, uh, the only thing I would add besides the fact that I would love to look like Chris Pratt um, because he just looks cool to me uh, and have the same kind of swagger that he does is I think the, um, the, the idea that is, uh, is articulated in the film, one of many, uh, the ones that you've mentioned, but also this idea that um, no matter how small or how big our purpose is, it's still purpose. And, I I just, I want to leave my thought with that by just quoting from the trailer. There's a reason we were meant to wake up. And I, I I firmly believe that there was, (laughs) and there have been some valid arguments about why that's not the case (laughs) to a point where I'm like, Oh, did I really kind of miss that too? But I'm going, no, I'm going to stand by this because movies are made to make us think those things. And I want to believe that the cast and crew were trying to do that. But at the very least, just like with you, I'm still thinking about that idea. I'm still thinking about those ideas. And, you know, it, again, I'm, I'm going to compare that to the BFG. You know, I go into a movie like the BFG and expect to have a good time, then I don't think about it again. Whereas I go into the movie like a, a movie like Passengers, have a great time with it, and then I just still think about it. And when a movie stays with you <laughs> like that, it's doing something to you. It's... It, that's where the subjectivity becomes a beautiful thing is that it doesn't have to do that for everybody, but that's why it's valuable to me. And I think that theme is, is very apparent in the film like that is that the things that were valuable to Jim 
into um, Aurora were not necessarily valuable to the other 5,000 people on that ship, <laughs> but they were valuable to them and those things mattered. They mattered enough to help them fulfill what it is that they needed to fulfill on that ship to accomplish the story that needed to be told. And it was beautiful. Absolutely. It was. Was that your number five or your, your fifth one? No, that was, that was my fourth. Okay. So I'm going next. Yes. Number okay. Five. So my last of my feeling five, uh, is a film that came out around Easter this year and has maintained a spot. I, I mean, hovering around, if not in my top 20, I can't remember where I have it exactly. I think it's outside my top 20. It's, uh, more in my top 30 overall, but the movie is called risen and I feel like I would be doing a disservice to this list if I didn't mention this movie. And the reason is because it approaches the, the story of my personal faith uh, from a different angle than I've ever seen before. Um, it takes the story of Jesus's crucifixion uh, and it approaches it from an investigative tale uh, it's it's got a, a centurion who's who's trying to solve a mystery and, and understand this problem that is Jesus. What is what is going on here? What is and and more more to the point, he's trying to solve where Jesus went uh, when Jesus was resurrected uh, from his tomb after death. And so, this film does a, an amazing job of reconciling the unbelievable aspect of of what it is to to have faith and this centurion shows us a journey uh, from denial to belief that is so real and so honest um, and it and this movie never oversteps its bounds it never travels into corny territory um, it never pokes fun at faith but it also doesn't completely embrace it to the point where it's trying to get you to change your your own personal – I mean it's not preachy I guess is what I would say. Um, it just tells a story about a man going through this situation in an investigative manner and trying to come to an understanding and, and wrestling with what it is that has happened here. And so – I love it. I've watched it a couple times. Uh, I think that I'm going to make it an Easter watch uh, on repeat every year for me and my family. I think it's a very important film. Uh, and so, yeah, it was one of the ones that definitely made me feel the most and that I connected with this year. That's great, man. I had actually forgotten about that movie, and I remember you talking to me about it, and now I want to go watch it because I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I'd, I'd for you, I'd definitely put it higher on your list because I think that you will feel very similar to the way that I did about it. Um, I will do that uh, shortly after we finish up here. I'll write it down and, and make sure to put it on the list and put it at the top of the queue. So what's your last one? I mean, it better be what I think it's going to be. <laughs> you better not go this whole podcast without talking about it because you haven't talked about it yet, Patrick. I haven't, and there's a reason why. It's because I wanted it to sit right here at the right. center of the world. For me... Um, one phrase, I'm going to drive it like I stole it. Uh, Sing Street, for me, became the undisputed number one film of the year for me. I have no problem saying this is my number one movie of the year. And it sits in my overall top ten for a number of reasons. I'll just mention a couple. One, 
there is some real value in rewatchability. And we, we talk about that. The fact that can a movie be revisited, you know, a number of times. And I think, yeah, that's something. But when a movie hits me in a way where I immediately want to restart it and watch it again because I enjoyed it that much, not because I missed something, not because it had some kind of twist at the end and I want to catch that. That's another kind of rewatchability. But like even now, I want to, after we finish, I want to pop it in again because it evokes so many just fantastic emotions in me. The themes of, you know, rock and roll being a risk, risk being ridiculed, of putting yourself out there and risking being made fun of, following your passions at the risk of failing. I mean, these are things as a designer that I think about a lot of like, how much do I risk doing something different um, and, and, and possibly failing and failing over and over and over again. And, you know, you combine those themes with fantastic characters and amazing dialogue and just, uh, just brilliant music. I love the fact that John Carney wrote, which means he wrote the script came up with the story, he directed it, and he composed and wrote all the original songs. To me, that's talent. And I got to believe that here's a guy who probably said, I have failed about a thousand times before I came up with this gem. And so there's a lot of meta thinking that's going on in this. And so when I when I think about Sing Street, I got uh, my wife, uh, I got her to sit down and watch it with me a couple of nights ago and was just grinning from ear to ear. And at one point in the movie, they're playing, I think, their second song that they've come up with. And she looks at me and she goes, you bought the soundtrack, didn't you? I said, right after I saw the movie. Um, because she knows me. She knows how much, you know, there's something about this music that she knows I connect with. And I just, I, I don't want to say that there is a perfect film out there. Because I don't think there is. I mean, I, I think every film has its flaws. But I think that this comes pretty close to that. I don't know that I could find any, I would be nitpicking like, like minute microscopic things to poke holes in. Mm. Um, maybe some editing, maybe the fact that realistically these guys couldn't have come up with these songs and gotten as talented as they did, but whatever. <laughs> right. That's the point, just, right? Is why, why even yeah. think of that? Why not just enjoy exactly. it? Why not just exactly. live in that happy place? And I, and I think that when you when you see a film and you want other people to experience that with you, either on their own and talk about it later or with you like next next to you like my wife and I did, to me that says so much about the power of a movie because we want to connect with each other. We want people to feel what we do. It's why we sing song lyrics together. When a song comes on the radio and we're all singing the same lyrics, that's why we have that sense of connection. And this movie does that. This movie is one of those movies where I go – Dude, have you seen Sing Street? I will go pay for your ticket to go see it, or I will rent it for you and bring it. To, I will buy you a copy, and we can sit down and watch it. I mean, that's that's what this movie did to me. It mm. made me want to endorse it, and uh, and I just movies don't do that to me. There aren't a ton that that do that, and I'm so glad that it came along, and I'm so glad that that it exists. And I, I wish John Carney was a listener because I'd be like, dude. I'm so grateful that you do what you do because you're fantastic. So yeah, that's my number one. That's my, that's my last one. So good. I, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that this movie came out this year uh, yes. when, we, when we were doing the podcast, because I think 
as much as anything, you know, that is a cementing moment for you um, in what we do and, and the joy mm-hmm. of what we do and being able to talk about that. I mean, that's your La La Land. You know, exactly. it's, it's interesting because both of our movies ended up being somewhat musicals. Um, <laughs> and, and I love Sing Street as well. I, I got nothing bad to say about it. I think it's it's phenomenal. I love that you mentioned, you know, there is no perfect film, but there can be a perfect film for you. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's okay. It's okay for it to be your perfect film, just like La La Land is my perfect film. Um, mm-hmm. That's really all that matters uh, is, is how we connect to the different stuff So yeah. that we watch. Now, before we move to our last section, Patrick, just – Real quick, if you want, do you do you have anything, any films or anything that you saw this year that you want to briefly touch on or just, just give a quick mention of uh, because you feel like it would be wrong to not say the name uh, before we move out of this? You know, I, I, I get laughed, uh, laughed at when I say this, but I, I, you know, the second Turtles movie. There we go. I've been waiting <laughs> for it, buddy. I've been okay. waiting for it. I was going to talk about it whether you liked it or not because I knew you needed to say something. Out of so the shadows, it. it was it was a great movie experience for me. It's one of the 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 movie experience itself. I was laughing and it brought back a whole lot of nostalgia. It it hit the right notes for me as as an audience, and it it made me just sort of gravitate and fall in love with this new iteration of of the the Ninja Turtles that I grew up with. It was it was a it was an iteration. It was a it was a brand new. Um, a different kind of turtles. And I think we talked about that when we talked about the two episodes that once we got past the fact that these didn't have to be our turtles, that they could be this new incarnation and we can enjoy that. I, I just, I, I can unapologetically, unapologetically say that I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, 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 it didn't make any of these lists. I mean, there was nothing about it that was like Oscar worthy or, you know, important, but it was, it was very enjoyable and to me, films need to do that at their very core. They need to be enjoyable. And when I can walk away and not have to justify it by saying, well, it was just a popcorn movie. It was just, you know, your summer blockbuster, you know, your popcorn fodder. I'm like, no, don't, don't, don't downgrade it like that. Tell me why you loved it. Tell me why it was great and be okay with that and be confident saying that. Don't be ashamed of saying I enjoyed Out of the Shadows because I have no problem saying that. Sometimes I do. But most of the time I'm really good with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome anything I else sir i no i think that was the only one that i think i wanted to mention there were a lot of other good ones but uh i think that was it for me well i will keep this quick i'm not going to talk very long about any of these but i just got to say them uh oj made in america it's a documentary i just watched this yesterday i literally watched the entire seven and a half hours in one single day i started it in the morning watching about an hour of it before my coworkers showed up in the office um, was hooked instantaneously, went home and sat on the couch and binge watched the other six and a half hours. I think that this is the most important film of 2016. Um, there's another documentary that I may watch while I'm doing uh, editing tonight, actually <laughs> called uh, the 13th that is about slavery that I also mm-hmm. am very, I, I feel is probably going to be very important as well. But the thing about OJ made America that is so vital is that it, it, it uses the story of OJ Simpson as an as a celebrity and an icon to tell a bigger story about the race relations and the culture of America regarding race relations through the last 50 years and it and it it tells it through this lens of of his tale and his rise and fall but it is about so much more than that and it really shows you how we got to where we are today with black lives matter with police shootings with 
police beatings of, of innocent uh, civilians, just all, the mess of a just social justice system that we have in place. Just it is or criminal justice system, rather it, it captures all of that. And I was so hooked. I could not stop watching when you're talking about seven and a half hour movie, whatever you want to call it, TV series, whatever. And you can't stop watching. That is something to be said. So I cannot recommend it enough. I would have been championing this sucker all year long. Had I known about it beforehand. Um, it's super important moonlight also another important film i think that it says a lot about empathy uh for a culture that we don't all have something to relate to uh this is a film that very well could win best picture it's going to be in that conversation uh, it is that good from a cinematography aspect from a story aspect from an acting aspect uh, kubo and the two strings my personal favorite animated film of the year amazing all about storytelling uh, all about imagination. Um, I thought it was original. I thought it was interesting uh, and just a really special movie. Edge of Seventeen, Haley Steinfeld, knocked it out of the park. Really solidified her as a top actress for me uh, this year. I loved her in True Grit, but this this performance was so special. I'm not a huge coming-of-age comedy type fan, to be honest with you, Patrick, because so many of them just get lost in raunchy jokes <laughs> that I think they try too hard, but edge mm-hmm. of 17 captured the ups and downs and the mood swings and the, the, the true feelings of what it's like to go through that loner syndrome when you're a teenager so well. Um, and it was just, it was heartwarming, uh, getting through it. And so, yeah, those are, uh, those are some of the ones that I love. Oh, loving would be the other one that we have not talked about. J- Jeff Nichols other film is called loving. Um, it-, it didn't get as high for me as I thought it might going into the year. Um, but it is a very, another important and special film. There were a lot of these this year, uh, about really looking at each other and seeing each other as humans and, uh, appreciating that, uh, caring about each other that way. And, uh, I thought loving was really well done. It, it took a, a very important, very, a uh, major case, a uh, court case from the, the past. And instead of showing us a courtroom drama, we never, we never even stepped inside of a courtroom. Uh, we saw it from the perspective of the family. We saw it from their home through the eyes of their children and, and themselves. And so that was a, a pretty great film to be honest. Well, if I could take any encouragement away from all of those that you mentioned, it's that, I will have at least a half a dozen movies this next year to talk about of movies that I haven't seen from, you know, that weren't from 2017. So if we do this <laughs> nice. again this year, Very if we do nice. this again for 2017, uh, then then I'll have at least four or five that I can say, well, let me let me tell you what I got to see. I got to see all these. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to our last section, Patrick. Let's uh, let's. Say goodbye to 2016. We've talked about it in depth. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, as we kind of wind our way out of this episode, let's briefly mention uh, some films of 2017 that we're excited about. I I know that I think we talked and decided we would pick three. I can assure you that I have more than three (laughs) written down. (laughs) But uh, why don't you kick us off with these 2017 films that we're looking forward to? 
Yeah, the the first one that I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. All three of these, I'm just going to confess up front that there are several that I that I want to see, but there are three blockbusters that I'm I'm looking forward to for for varying reasons. Um, not just because they're blockbusters or because they're franchise films, but because of just individual reasons. The first one is Logan, uh, coming out early this year. I'm excited to see Hugh Jackman on screen because you know I love Hugh Jackman, but I'm excited to see his sort of swan song as the Wolverine because he has epitomized that character for years. And I don't know that I could picture anybody else carrying the mantle of him at, you know, at his, at his present iteration. Like obviously you could do a younger version or, or something like that later on, but Hugh Jackman will always be Wolverine first and foremost to me before any other character that I've seen him play. He's played a lot of characters and he's such a diverse character or diverse actor, but I'm just looking forward to seeing this final iteration of him and seeing how it's an incredible story. I've read the comic and it's very good. Um, but just seeing, seeing how he finishes out this role of, of playing Logan and just seeing, seeing the humanity, seeing the character study that I hope that we get from this film. So Logan's my, my first pick of the year. Well, I, I tried to stay away from some of the blockbusters, to be honest, so that's good because I, I too, am looking forward to Logan in a big way. Um, It's sad. (laughs) Just hearing you talk about it kind of makes me sad. Just the idea that, you know, we're probably going to lose Logan and we're probably going to lose Professor X, too. And I just, I don't know if I can handle that. Um, Speaking of, you know, trailers, that trailer is just one of the best I've seen in years. The, The use of the Johnny Cash song is. Mm-hmm. pure perfection so definitely looking forward to logan um the the first one i've written down is blade runner 2049 blade runner is a top five film of all time for me uh, i absolutely love science fiction heady science fiction like you were talking about earlier it's probably my favorite type of film and you'll see that again in this list later um it's directed by one of my absolute current favorite directors uh denis villeneuve uh, it's starring one of my favorite actors, Ryan Gosling, coming off of his amazing turn in La La Land. So I'm I'm super excited to see what he can do uh, with this material, uh, this noirish type story. And bringing back Harrison Ford, I'm actually lukewarm on. Uh, I don't know that I'm not a big fan of cameos uh, and bringing back older actors, but I think that there is a way in which you can tell a new story with Deckard as an older man that works. Uh, that he can be a an enhancement to this movie without being an attraction or a distraction, rather. And I, and I think that if anybody can handle this, I have the utmost faith in Denis Villeneuve that he can make this movie the sequel that will break the curse of bad sequels to really good movies. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I'm nervous, Patrick. I'm very, very nervous because I love this original film so much that I will be... I will be hurt. This will be a this will be a magnificent seven level, not quite, but it, it, it'll be closer to that level of failure if this thing doesn't turn out right for me. So very hopeful uh, <laughs> and looking forward to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. What's up next for you? For me, it's going to be the uh, the Justice League. You know, you and I we started this podcast uh, kicking it off with Batman v Superman and all of the the challenges we'll call the the issues whatever the divisiveness that um that it brought with it and i remember um it was so great i was i was listening to a review 
by the guys behind um, how it should have ended, <laughs> which are just hysterical. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I got to I got to hear the main guy's review of the of the film, and he he brought up this idea that uh, one of DC's calling card slogans is the night is darkest before the dawn, and of course he plays into the idea of dawn of justice, and so the hope that I have for Justice League is not that it's lighter, not that it's funnier, or not that it plays into the Marvel formula or whatever. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want it to do that. I want it to be a DC film. I want it to be what it's meant to be. But I'm ready to see um, hope. I'm ready to see a team-up that is incredibly successful um, and, and tells a, a meaningful story. I, I want Justice League to succeed, not just financially, but but socially, I mean, I want it to succeed in the eyes of an audience. I want it to be, um, I want, <laughs> I want Zack Snyder and company to, to be proud of the film that they make. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see, and, and, and to a lesser extent, I'm excited to see the flash on the big screen. He's one of my favorite comic book characters. And so to see Ezra Miller in, uh, in full on flash garb as the Scarlet speedster and, and seeing what he brings to the table, as a, as an, as a character, you know, for that character, um, I'm excited for that, but I'm hopeful. I'm very much hopeful that justice league, um, makes me smile and for a number of reasons. I hope so too. Um, we'll definitely be covering it. So I hope that we have lots of good things to say. <laughs> uh, my number, number two that I'm going to mention is called the lost city of Z. Uh, this is a book that I started reading uh, a few months ago and I've kind of stalled out on, but I want to get back into and revisit and finish it up. Um, I love adventure stories about explorers. I love things like Tomb Raider and Uncharted and uh, National Treasure uh, movie series, things like that. And this book is in that same vein. Uh, this is a real-life tale of uh, of an explorer gone missing uh, and, and a very famous explorer. It's one of the biggest unsolved mysteries of the past century. Um and I think that the great cast, uh, it includes Charlie Hunnam and Tom Holland, our new Spider-Man. Uh, and it has a very underrated director uh, by the name of James Gray. And I think that this is one of those unknown films that has uh, a premise that with this kind of underrated talent underneath it or, or behind it uh, can shock everyone. I think this is one that you're going to hear about before the year is over, but you're not going to hear much about going into it. You're going to, it's going to hit theaters. People are going to start going to see it. And all of a sudden you're going to see pretty amazing critical reviews. And you're going to be like, Oh wow. Why is this an Oscar contender? That's, that's what I think lost city of Z could be. Um, you know, that's the best case scenario and that's what I'm hoping for. And I think that, uh, as an adventure story, it's, it's going to be pretty compelling. Very cool. Well, I'll finish this out with what I think is more of a captain obvious, pick uh, episode eight is coming out this next year uh the next star wars iteration and i think in light of our our rogue one discussion what i am hopeful for in this film uh, something that we didn't get with the force awakens is a refreshing story something that doesn't feel like it's calling back to um you know older characters or throwing us back to nostalgia or, you know, my hope obviously is that it's not a rehash of the Empire Strikes Back storyline. So would you say <laughs> like you got, have a new hope? I have a new hope. Regarding episode nine? <laughs> I do. Sorry. If not, I'm going to strike back. Oh. Um, but I'm bummed. 
No, but what you know, I think after after watching The Force Awakens, some of the conversations I had with people I worked with and other in other circles was the fact that okay, JJ Abrams set the table, now we have an opportunity to create something new or create something refreshing. And I really hope they take that risk. I hope that episode eight is an opportunity to tell a new story and to not have to rely on the callbacks that we got in the force awakens. And that's not taking away from the force awakens. Obviously it was a very, very good movie, very successful movie. But I know for me, um, I like nostalgia as much as the next guy, but I also like originality and I like refreshing storytelling. And so for me, that's, that's what I'm optimistic about is that episode eight brings something new to the table. Good, good. Me too. Um, I, I mean, I, I loved force awakens and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope that, uh, we can get something new as well. That would be my ideal situation for sure. Uh, I, I have great faith in the director's that are they're taking over the star Wars series. So, you know, it could happen. It could happen. Um, the number three for me, and I am going to mention my other two, by the way, but my number three is one that I know probably would easily have made your list if you'd have let it, um, or might be your number four, but that's Dunkirk. Uh, you know, that's the next movie by Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like a no brainer for us because we've talked so much about how much of uh, a favorite director of both of us, he is. I mean, we're doing Nolan month. Uh, this, <laughs> this this episode is bringing us right into uh, January, which which is all Nolan month leading into February. Five episodes in a row. So you're welcome, listeners. But you know, this is interesting, Patrick. He's going historical, mm-hmm. and we have not seen this. I mean, we've seen a period piece, we've seen the Prestige, but we've never seen this. And it's it's interesting to me. I always kind of do a double take when I see the trailer or hear the trailer, and it says you know, the most impactful world event ever or something. And I didn't even know what the heck this was <laughs> until. Yeah. The me neither. And I still really don't other than what I've seen on the trailer and so far. So I am unbelievably intrigued to see how he, how he handles this type of material and what this story is. Um, his imagination is frankly unrivaled to me. And this has an all-star cast, as always, so we'll almost certainly make it a success on some letter- level, and it's it's really just a matter of how good Dunkirk is going to be, and not whether it will be good or not. That's that's kind of where I'm at with this one, and I, I I can't wait. I mean, this is... I very rarely go to IMAX. There there are very few select films that I will allow myself to pay that much money for, but this is one of those that I will, I will see it in the best possible way that I can see this movie. Yes, sir. And it did. It, it was it was just outside of my of my top three. And I just decided, you know, I'll just stick with some blockbusters. But the thing that I'm anticipating the most is the fact that this doesn't feel, at least on the surface, like a Nolan movie. It doesn't feel cerebral. It doesn't feel like a thinking man's movie. It feels like a historical film. And I think that's something that we'll get a chance to talk about is, will that challenge our expectations? Will we, will we expect something like a twist somewhere... <laughs> in this or and and will that devalue it so my my anticipation is that it won't because we in nolan we trust but um it, it'll definitely make for good discussion it will and i and i hope it becomes cerebral or cerebral on some level to be honest with you <laughs> yeah uh so the, the other ones i just want to quickly mention sorry honorable mentions that are my thing um i said i love sci-fi 
And to next year, you know, not only Blade Runner, but we've got some awesome sci-fi coming. There's the blockbuster sci-fi. We've got Alien Covenant, which I'm so excited about. It's going to bridge the gap between Prometheus and Aliens. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is our comedy sci-fi. Super fun. I, that is going to be probably the most hilarious uh, movie of the year in lots of ways. We've got Life. Life looks really cool. It's about uh, discovering the first life on Mars, I believe. Uh, this has got a cast with Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal, who I love. Uh, it's by the writers of Deadpool and Scott, uh, not Scott Pilgrim, uh, Deadpool and uh, uh, Zombieland is the other movie that they wrote. So really, really intrigued to see how they tackle this. It looks like a very serious story. Uh, I'm, I don't know. Deadpool and zombie land are not very serious. So we'll see how this turns out. Maybe this could be a, another case of that trailer misdirection. Uh, but it's compelling, uh, enough for me. And I think we've got it on our schedule. Uh, God particle, which is the next Cloverfield verse film, uh, had its release date moved from February until the fall. So it's got David Oyelowo in it. Oyelowo. Oh gosh, stop it, Aaron. David. <laughs> uh, it's got Martin Luther King in it, and uh, <laughs> and he's in space, and so that's cool because there's satellites and stuff. It's going to be in the Cloverfield universe, guys. Uh, you know, we love J.J. Abrams and we love the Cloverfield verse. So Patrick and I are going to dig this one. We're excited for it. And then lastly, Annihilation. Uh, this doesn't have a release date yet, but I'm really hoping this comes out next year. Annihilation is uh, an original sci-fi based on a, well, I say original based on a book, but it's a unique story, but it's based on a book by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, It's being directed by Alex Garland, who was the director of Ex Machina, my favorite film of 2015 and of one of my all-time faves. I love that movie. Um, He's returning for another science fiction drama. The movie's premise really grabs me right away. It's a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition where the laws of nature don't apply. Simple, but we've got a scientist and we've got some sort of something that's not normal, not human. Um, you add in a cast that has Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, and once again, reuniting with Alex Garland, Oscar Isaac. And for me, you got the something you got the makings of something that I'm going to be anxiously awaiting all year long. So I'm super pumped for Annihilation. I hope it comes out next year. Uh, yeah, it could be another great year of sci-fi for me. I love the renaissance of sci-fi that we've been getting the last few years. Um, bring it on. Just bring this, it on. This is what I love about us and about our friendship is that, there are movies out there that I don't know about. And you're like, let's put it on the list. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Without you, I probably wouldn't have known about half of these movies that we've talked about. Well, that's what we do. It's give and take. <laughs> well, man, I am so glad we got a chance to do this. Um, I don't know that there's anything else we can say, except 2016 was a great year for movies. It was. At least I think so. It's a great year for movies. And... A great year for us. And why was it a great fear for us, Patrick? Because we started a podcast. (laughs) But what makes this podcast great? Because we were not Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) No, make podcasts great again. What? It's the listeners. (laughs) It's you guys. It's it's each one of you that has like actually sat through this two hour episode, almost two and a half hour episode. Did you know we were going that long, Patrick? (laughs) 
I know it doesn't I feel did like not. it, does it? No. This is like double the length of the biggest episode we've ever done. So wow. So congratulations and kudos to every single one of you that has sat through this. We love you guys. We really do. And interacting with all of you via social media and and the email address and just any way we can is so much fun uh, because. You know, sometimes you just don't have local friends that want to talk movies the way you do. And so this presents an opportunity to create a community of people that want to come together and talk about how movies affect them uh, and discuss and just share that experience. And it has been awesome. And I'm so grateful and so thankful for for all of you. I am as well. Um, We really wouldn't enjoy this. I mean, we would enjoy it just doing it on our own because we have. even without the the podcast itself, but having an audience like you guys allows us to be able to, at the very least, just expand our thinking and to think about movies from a different perspective. Um, whether we agree with each other or disagree with each other, I love the diversity of the conversation personally, and uh, frankly, I've just like I've said it before. I just I love the friendships that we've made throughout the. Uh, the 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 Facebook group community as well as the different podcasts that you and I have had a chance to guest on and uh, continue to build friendships there. It's just it's it's just very cool, and I'm I'm grateful. Yeah, me too. And you know, as we get to this, we're just gonna quickly tell you where you can get a hold of us. But before we do that, big thanks to all of the the fellow podcasters out there that have both helped us get started. Uh, who who we have guested on their shows, who've guested on our shows. We mentioned Andrew Dice of Screen Rant, Retro Rewind Podcast, uh, Underrated Podcast, The Cinescope Podcast, Real World Theology, Popcorn Theology, um, the Science Fiction uh, Film Podcast by LSG Media was a big influence for me. I'm trying to run down a film spotting and, and slash film cast. There's so many that have been big influences on us and that we've interacted with listeners from uh but uh yeah it, it, that community like you said has been amazing so but what about you patrick let's let's end this and let people get on with their lives and get on with two, 2017 let's bring it in where can people come and talk to you about this episode or anything they want you can uh, you can find me on twitter at shoeless patch s-h-o-e-l-e-s-s p-a-t-c-h i'm also at facebook.com slash shoeless patch you can also check out anything about me my latest writings or ramblings, uh, photos and whatnot, anything about me at the website that I hang out at, thisispatch.com. Sweet. And if you want to find me, I'm all over the internet at Aaron L. White, A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can also tweet or find the show at feelinfilm, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M, or feelinfilm.com, feelinfilm at gmail.com if you'd like to email us your thoughts or suggestions or anything you would like to say this has been great patrick i can't wait for the next year and what we've got to come i think kicking it off with nolan month is a great start i would agree with that completely man looking forward to the uh the first installment coming up in a few days me too well until next time listeners we really do appreciate you for being here and uh stay positive and keep feeling film